We believe that wealth is a journey and that this is your jumpstart to trading success. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Traders Mind Chat live show. Today, we've got a very special end of the year live stream for you guys. 2021 end of year market wrap with interviews with Bobby and uh, Steve from Discipline Mind Trading. Welcome, guys. How's Thanks, it going, Mike? Mike? Thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah, appreciate yeah. you inviting us. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it was it was so awesome meeting you guys at the at the Stock Twits uh, Long Island meetup. Uh, like, uh, it, it really cool to to meet people. Uh, like, meet cool people online, then like meet people in person, offline. Like, kind of see like the the real thing. Yeah, it, it was awesome. Yeah, so it was great. I had a great time. Uh, it was great to see other uh, traders on Long Island getting together in the middle of the pandemic, which I thought would be, always be tricky. Um, yeah, I had an awesome time and thank you for organizing that. I think it was a great, great, uh, uh event and, uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. That Long Island definitely needed a meetup group. So we're, we're glad that, uh, you know, you and StockTwits got that all together. So appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Well, hundred percent. So, so guys, uh, like, uh, no, uh, I know I got to know you guys uh, a little bit, uh, at the, uh, at the meetup, uh, Tell us uh, about how you got into trading, Matt. Maybe we'll, we'll start with uh, with Steve. Uh, sure. Do you prefer Steve or Steven? Doesn't matter. Doesn't <laughs> matter. You call me whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I call him trash on a regular basis, so I'm sure he'll <laughs> yeah. accept either. I, I get called everything. Um, so my background, I was a finance major in college, so me and all my friends at that time were trading. Actually, it goes actually a little bit beyond that. I actually... Years ago, I, I did pools uh, in the summer and I used to make a lot of money doing that. I, I repaired pools and I'm able to build pools, uh, but nobody called me. I don't do that any, but anymore. So I don't want to hear any uh, suggestions on how to build pools or anything like that. And uh, I had Dan saved Zanger up... get started that way. What? Didn't Dan Zanger get started that way? He did pools? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah but, I, did, I did not know that. That's funny. Yeah, but yeah. for everybody that doesn't know who Dan is, uh, Dan Zanger is the world record holder for swing trading. So great company in there. Maybe, maybe like, maybe <laughs> I need to get into pools. Yeah, well, was, <laughs> I'll tell you what. When you're 18 and 19 years old, it's the funnest job. So I had extra money. I didn't know what to do with it. I wanted to make some money because I, I, I keep hearing about the stock market. So I asked my father. In retrospect, it was the craziest thing because he doesn't know practically anything about stocks. So I invested in the stock. And then my uncle also was an active trader. And he's like, you should start reading this. And it was uh, at the time Investors Daily. So it was even before it was Investors Business Daily. And then from there, I was hooked on trading. I made my first trade with Citibank. I bought it at 20, sold it at 25. Uh, so I made, what is that, 25% uh, uh, on my investment. And yeah, yeah. probably within six months, and I was hooked from there. So that's my starting and investing. Awesome. Yeah, you had a better experience uh, with City than uh, what I did uh, with uh, one of my friends that started to, to get into trading. Uh, this was right around uh, where uh, the banks were failing and it was they were too big to fail. Yes. And, and uh, you know, lo looking at, at Citibank and thinking that it was uh, going to, to come back. And um, that that was back to when I, when I was still uh, 
kind of watching Kramer yes. and uh, heard that, yeah, you know, Citigroup is too big to fail. Time to get in. Um, I ended up taking a small loss. He ended up writing it down uh, about 50%, held it for two years, got out close to break even at that point. But man, like that's a, that, that's a tough lesson. Oh, absolutely. That's why buy and hold, you know, I'm sure everybody knows it's just rough. It, you know, you can make money buying holding, but that in between the the holding part can be super rough and you miss a lot of opportunities at the same time. So. Mm. Uh, Bobby, yep. uh, uh, let, let's hear it. Like, uh, right, so how, how did you get started? Uh, totally different than Steve. Like I had no interest in finance. I was like horrible at finance and math all through school. Um, what really kind of started was I was working, uh, as an IT recruiter and, uh, services kind of like sales guy. And I'd be constantly meeting with my clients and I, anytime something came up around stocks, I just felt like I could never add to the conversation. Uh, so one of my friends, uh, that I worked out with this guy, Keith, uh, had introduced me to Steve. Steve is always the guy uh, actually on the treadmill reading the IBD paper, which I didn't know at the time was the IBD paper. And he said, you know, Steve knows some about stocks. Talk to him and and he'll, uh, you know, maybe he'll help you out. So I asked Steve, I said, hey, I just, I want to get some background knowledge on stocks. Do you have any books or anything I could read? And he gave me uh, Matthew Galgani's uh, Getting Started, uh, How to Make Money in Stocks. So that like dinner bull book. Uh, read it that weekend and I had like kind of poor visions of what the stock market was in general. Like I just thought it was rigged. I thought only people on Wall Street could make money and it was just kind of all, you know, just uh, really rigged. That's the best word for it. And when mm -hmm. I read that book, it finally like something clicked in my head. I'm like, mm, this is a lot different than I than I think it is. And I think this is something that I'm, I could do and I'm really interested in. So I talked to Steve and I said, hey, what do I do if I want to learn how to trade? So then he gave me um next book was nicholas darvis uh how i made two million dollars in the stock market i read that and then how to make money in stocks and that kind of started the whole learning process uh and i was lucky enough that uh steve decided that we used to a bunch of the guys from the gym used to go to a, a texas roadhouse on wednesdays to actually uh just meet for like a it was a sirloin deal they had going and he's like look we'll meet every wednesday bring all your questions, bring any information. We'll go over what's going on in the market. We'll go over your questions and, uh, and I'll help you kind of learn, uh, you know, how to trade and how to trade cancel them. So thanks to Steve. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how it all started. Yeah, that's fantastic. And this is going back how long? Um, I've been trading now four and a half years, four and a half years. Uh, and Steve, you're, you're trading for, uh, oh God. a bit longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably about 30 years. I was, not I not enough, finger, not yeah. enough fingers and toes. Yeah, you don't want to hear that story. That's uh, interesting because, like, I was a so I th I told you I got started with Citibank. My uncle gave me um, uh, Investors Business Daily, so I didn't read the book yet. Then I started like I had bought Walmart and Oracle and a couple other stocks. Mm. Then I read the book, and then I had unbelievable success right out of the gate. And then all of a sudden, I started watching CNBC and doing all the things you shouldn't do. And mm. I'm telling you, it was a journey. I started to think that value investing, I, I questioned myself, I questioned the book, I questioned everything. And I, you know, I had a career in between there, um, which I still have. And I started drifting back towards um, canceling investing, like hardcore canceling investing, probably beginning around 2008 again. 
And then I really locked it down and I didn't mix any more styles, probably about the same time that Bobby started uh, uh, investing. Like that, that was that, that if you want to talk about, we're going to talk about successes and failures. Uh, mm -hmm. My biggest failure by far was mixing styles. I can't tell you, like I have the highest amount of respect for Warren Buffett um, and people on TV love to talk about Warren Buffett and value investing, things like that. It's just something that, as a smaller trader and someone with limited funds, you just can't do. I mean, he's got billions and billions of dollars. He does something completely different than we do. I'm not saying don't use his principles. It's just harder to do. And I think Canslem provides you a unbelievable opportunity to make a lot of money on the companies that are in the bleeding edge of uh, capitalism and in our society. So that's why I love Canslem. Yeah. Interesting, and uh, I like the that you pointed out the the mixing of styles, and I, I I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. So when you well, when you say mixing styles, like there's a complete difference between your Warren Buffett style and your uh, Bill O'Neill style, like kind of polar opposites, right? But there's uh, that uh, like that's separate from taking uh, O'Neill and blending it with Darvis, maybe throwing some Minervini in there, maybe trying to, uh, like, a, like that's not what you're talking about, mixing no, styles, or is it? No, 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 no. My styles were like, because um, all you hear on TV is buy and hold and, uh, you know, like Kramer and all that type of stuff. Um, it was really more value investing, listening to hedge fund managers on TV. Mm. It's not having the conviction to truly trade one methodology like like when you're talking about darvis to me i think that o'neill uh darvis was one of o'neill's mentors same thing with like uh livermore and some of the other guys there's other guys that they mentioned mm -hmm. where i think and then i think minervini o'neill was one of his mentors and and they may not have like mentored the way maybe i mentored bobby but using their like i consider bill o'neill a mentor i met the guy once um mm -hmm. 30 years ago and he thought i was going to be a great trader and uh because I bought Cisco systems and, you know, I wish <laughs> it was probably one of the few times Bologna was wrong. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. But, uh, you know, mixing styles is a problem. Like you can't, it, it, it's just incompatible. Like, you know, this is actually a very fascinating topic to me too. Warren Buffett has a style. I've read so many books. I read his biography. I've probably read 10 books on Warren Buffett. I have the highest, highest, highest acclaim for Warren Buffett. But people don't understand he is has a different goal and he's not an investor. He runs a business. So to consider him an investor, when he first started out, if you go back and look at what he did, he, you know, it's funny. I was telling one of our viewers this, uh, you know, yesterday, the day before, he had a specific style. He would get out of stocks. He didn't have this buy in and just hold forever mentality. The reason why he does that now is he's got a different, he's got too many balls in the air. He's not sitting there looking at charts or, or uh, actively trading. He's got like 80 businesses he's running and it's very, very different. I mean, the media, you know, they're selling whatever they're selling, but just from experience as an investor, it just, it becomes a distraction. You need to be completely focused on what you're doing. And, and this is where mixing of styles comes in. You've got to have the conviction of what you're doing because it's so easy to let other people distract you and to let their opinions mix. You just have to block everything out. You have to, and this is why one of the reasons why I love that you uh, put together the meetup group, the more like-minded people you can talk to, the better it is for you. And the, and, and 
the better it is for your investing. And that's another reason why I love YouTube, you know, meeting Dennis, seeing people on Twitter, like Mike Minervini, uh, Mike Webster, um, Jim Ropel, all those, you know, it, it's so helpful because you realize there are other people out there. When I started investing, it was me and my uncle. I don't know if I told you the story. So oh, yeah, I did say it, that he gave me uh, the investors business daily paper. Yeah, yeah. I love my uncle. He passed away recently, but you want to talk about a guy who wasn't like, like he would tell you he'd do IBD and then he'd be doing 10 other things. So mm. like he wasn't, you know, it was great that he gave me the ability to, um, learn about IBD, but he didn't give me the ability to, you know, be com as focused as I've been, um, you know, telling Bobby, you know, this is it, this is it, this is it. And also Bobby wasn't a finance major. So like there's some biases that you bring into it um, just from where, where, you know, where your life is that are very different for every investor. So why don't you tell about Bob, uh, how you, you know, you, you were a clean sheet, how easier it was for you. I, that was, I mean, that was probably my biggest advantage. Like I, I had no Twitter, I had no like social media, nothing related to trading. I never, I never watched the news. Um, one of the big things Steve told me was just try to, especially when you're learning, like try not to have conversations about stocks with anybody. Um, because the majority of the people that you're going to come across are just not going to really know what they're doing. And you're going to start taking some information from them and think maybe this is true and it's just going to derail you. So I think that that was my biggest thing. I don't think I really looked at any outside information besides the books I was reading and the podcasts that were directly related to me until probably two and a half, three years down the road. And at that point I had, like Steve said, the conviction in the system and I've seen that it could work that now when I heard the outside information, I could say, okay, this doesn't line up with what I'm doing. I got to block this out. Mm. Um, I think that was one of my biggest advantages was that, you know, clean slate. Yep. You know, the, you guys mentioned a couple of really good, like I'm taking notes uh, as we're going to like that. I always end up with like pages of notes uh, every time we, we have somebody on like, so, uh, and I've already got half a page of notes. Uh, from, uh, well, well, what are we talking now? Like 15 minutes? Jeez. Um, but, but uh, one of the things that, that you had mentioned was that you must have conviction in what you're doing. I'm curious how, uh, what your process is for having conviction uh, in what you're doing, or, or can you speak more to how does one, uh, how does one go about attaining that? Well, what do you think? Do you want to go, Bob? Or do you, do yeah, you yeah. I, I think uh, a big part of it is just kind of doing the research and doing the groundwork. Um, yeah, I, I constantly in say this. In the system or, or what? Are you um, in, in both. In both. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, just if you take any information in general, whether it's stock related or, you know, not stock related, like I think too often people hear something and then they just take it for gospel once they hear it and just kind of run with it. And very few people take the time to really do the groundwork and see if like, it, whether it's a system or stock or whatever it is, what's really going on behind the scenes. Um, so I, I think I tell a lot of my friends that they're, you know, ask me questions about stock systems and how to trade and stuff. And I say, here, I'll give you the information, but you know, you got to go out there too and, and look and see the, I always mention like some of the US investing champions, see the styles that they're using. Uh, there's all these research papers on different styles of trading, study charts, do the background information to really understand, okay, I'm seeing this actually work. I'm not just hearing somebody tell me it works. Um, and the same thing with the stocks. It's like, you know, somebody tells you, oh, this company's great. Uh, you know, they're really growing and they got a great product. And 
no, okay, I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to find that information for myself. I'm going to listen to some earnings calls. I'm going to research the company. I'm going to find out what's going on in their industry um, and gain that conviction on my own through research. I think that's extremely, extremely important. Mm. For me, I think one of the keys is that doing a post-analysis, you can see where your, your successes and, and victories are. And that when you do the system right, and you follow the rules, usually you're coming up with a positive result or you've cut your losses. I mean, there are very few times that you get, you know, blown up using it to me, can slim. But when I am not using can slim, like I said before, when I'm mixing styles or doing something that's deviating from it, that's where I usually have my poor results. And it's, and you know, for me, it's over time. It's funny. You know, I go back to this 30 year period there are times where like I would use Canslim and I would have unbelievable success. Like I'll give you, this is a great example. I bought Lululemon. I don't even know if I've ever told this, Bobby. Uh, no, the audience sharing it uh, on your podcast, Mike. Awesome. <laughs> I, bought Lu- I bought Lululemon on um, their IPO base. I'll never forget it. Like everyone's wow. talking about it. And I, I believe it like doubled within a, within a month. I, 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 you know, I'm sure my timeframes are off. But like things like that, buying Apple at perfect times, buying Google at perfect times, and then you know a lot of other stocks at that time, uh, you know, f- waiting. Yeah, here it is. It, 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 that's the IPO base. Yeah, this is Lulu going back. It's, it's to about thirty. I don't know. Yeah. They've split. If it's at thirty, I bought it like right as it was breaking out. I think it went from thirty. I, I remember making a lot of money on it. A lot, like after this decline. So the, this is a weekly. So you probably no. Uh, I, yeah, bought it, it, I bought it right out of the IPO. Too. No, no, I bought it right out of the IPO. So that first little uh, on the left, the far left hand side. No, no, far left. I probably bought it right there. No, 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 further left. I believe I bought it right there. So like right out of yeah. this. Yeah, the. Like I love it well when an IPO does that, like it breaks out out of a little yeah. flag area like this. Yep, like, that's exactly when I bought it. Yeah, um, and then I never bought it again. <laughs> 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 that's a mistake. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just remember uh, you know other stocks uh, just having you know really good success with it, and for whatever reason, it didn't register in my head to continue with it you know what i'll tell you for me interestingly enough uh one of the things that made me stop mixing styles and i and i recommend this to anyone so in 2000 the end of 2016 2017 i started listening to podcasts and one of the first podcasts i listened to was uh the michael covell trend following podcast i don't know Mm. mike if you listen to that and one of the first things he started saying is don't watch cnbc don't listen to them and it probably took me about six months to a year and around that time, I stopped. To, I haven't. I haven't watched CNBC. In fact, I don't even think I have it on my cable anymore. Um, and from that time on, my investment results have gotten exponentially better. Because I'll give you an example. I owned Apple in the beginning of uh, 2009. So right as the market was coming out uh, mm-hmm. of the uh, tech bubble, and. Right. If you remember that time, everything that Apple did, it was wrong. Nobody believed in them. And it would just make you question your conviction. And I knew based on like their their, their 
sale, they, their sales grew through the whole entire financial crisis. Their earnings didn't, but their sales did. Uh, they, they, and then right coming right out, they started getting 20 and 30%, uh, maybe even more uh, revenue growth and earnings growth. But everything on CNBC was negative. Uh, this company stinks, this company stinks. And it would make you question what you're doing instead of me. Like I thought they were, uh, they were a better source of information than what I saw on the charts. Like it didn't occur to me that they may be wrong and that the charts are uh, uh, correct. So, you know, listen, it, it's lessons learned like that. But uh, yeah, so so really um, avoiding things like, you know, listening to CNBC. I hope, I hope that you don't have any sponsorships with them. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. not but, yet. But, like, you know, yeah, those, that things like that it. have just been super <laughs> helpful. For, yeah, things like that have been just super helpful for me to, to just try to ignore the noise as much as you can. Have, you know, you could have as many trusted people, but as long as they're, you know, pretty aligned with you or understand what you're doing, I think that's really uh, mm. super helpful in getting your performance up to where it needs needs to be. I think that's real key. The, that last point too, to when you're trying not to talk to, to any, to, when you're trying not to talk to to most people, uh, like being very selective with, with the people that you're going to uh, work with, uh, like uh, and talk to about this kind of stuff. Um, it, like even like I remember uh, in the in the IBD meetup groups too, like uh, they fantastic like if it wasn't for them like i wouldn't be here right now but even in that uh like uh i remember the the story uh, of flt right like uh let me bring that this up I, I think i told you guys this but i don't know if i've told everybody else uh so flt i uh i what bought this ipo too what was that which company is that FLT, Fleet Core Technologies. Okay. Basically, okay. they make credit cards for uh, the trucking industry. Yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, had all the canceling characteristics. I bought it out of this cup. Uh, and uh, I was talking about it at, at one of the, the meetups, uh, and I uh, was asking the, the guys, yeah, like, so what do you think about it? I'm one of the new people. Uh, they have a lot more experience uh, than I do. Uh, and so they're like, yeah, you know, well, like, they, they really just make, credit cards for truckers, that's uh, probably one that you're going to want to lock in your 20% uh, on and call it a day. So so I follow that. And how many percent <laughs> later after that? Yeah. So, so 20%. So here's 20% roughly. And yeah, before, before even really breaching like get like that's the first like close below the the 50 day yeah so we're in the, like another 60 percent. but people could have the best uh, like i like i share that because people could have the the best intentions uh when uh when giving advice i think that um well when we speak with either uh, like when we should do something a lot like more of a general kind of thing i think that that's advice that's worth listening to well when people give advice that you should do this or you should do that often uh well what i've uh, experienced has been that uh, more often than not they're speaking from their own point of view in how they would uh handle something and it may not even though it's well-intentioned may not be the best uh thing for you to do so to, to have that 
awareness. One of my favorite quotes is a John Wooden quote. Um, it's, uh, oh God, what is it? Uh, preparing, fail, wait, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And one of the things that I've learned that is super helpful for me, because I think every investor gets into this and that's kind of where you were with that. You probably didn't have, you, you didn't have the conviction in the stock, but had you prepared beforehand and knew what that trade was before you traded, what, what's your goal? Like, like we all know, like there are certain times I'll give you a really good example. Recently I bought Pfizer. Um, okay. And I didn't, my only goal was to be up 20%. Uh, and it looked like it was going to go more than that. So I actually pushed it, but it ended up, uh, so I sold some of it at 20% and I ended up um, selling the rest uh, actually yesterday at about a 13 or 14% gain. So no nice. one feel bad for me. Um, but I, 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 I figured because of Omicron and everything else, it was going to continue to go higher. I was wrong. But the point is that when you have, and you know, if a trade is a trade or if, if, if a, company has all the canceling characteristics, what you should actually be doing and what what your plan for that stock is. So this way, we're human beings and, and it's easy to get biased by other people, particularly like in a, in, this is a perfect example. Say in two months, when we go back to your meetup group, there's someone there who, who's, you know, Mr. Canceling, he's super rich, he's had success. And he says something, sometimes you, uh, you believe in, what other people say and then yourself. And this is actually a great story. And I hope my friend doesn't hear this <laughs> so in the beginning of 2009. Um, Apple was one of my stocks that I invested in. And I had, like I told you, complete conviction. One of the reasons what made me sell it is I had a friend of mine who uh, is a trader on Wall Street. He was up like 90% in 2008. Why? Because he shorted the market. Okay. And I just thought I deferred to his judgment more than I deferred to my judgment. So I started listening mm -hmm. to him. And at that point, actually in August of 2008, I actually went to a level, my first level two meetup, uh, my first level two uh, seminar, webinar, but not webinar, it was actually in Boston, but it was one of the great things I ever went to. And, uh, you know, it, it taught me a lot, but it didn't teach me how to, to avoid listening to other people. And I, I, I knew all the rules I knew a level two gives you every tool that you possibly need to trade. And, um, yeah, I just listened to him and it was just one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Um, not that he, his, his intentions weren't there. It's just that when you have a plan and you're deferring to other people, they don't know what your plan is and you've got to right. execute your plan. You can't execute anyone else's plan. And that's really what the secret is. Um, it, it gets back to Bobby and I love like Jocko and David Goggins. They, they talk about everything in your life is your fault. I mean, you could nitpick that, but that's really in trading. Everything is your fault. And if you, uh, try to place blame on, like, I don't place blame on anyone else. I place blame on me for me listening to those other people. That's where you begin to realize, uh, how to avoid mixing, um, uh, different, uh, systems and everything else. Uh, it's just taking accountability, I think is probably uh, one of the most important things. And that's really where you get huge, huge, huge growth uh, in your um, portfolio and your results. Yeah, 100%. I uh, couldn't agree with, with that more. And uh, if uh, we are listening to, to other people's opinions too, like, like oh, well, what tends to, to happen is uh, like, uh, people, uh, like, like we beat ourselves up 
uh, like for, for doing that. Uh, I think that, um, and uh, like empathy, like self-empathy is, is something that, that I've been big into uh, more often uh, and like uh, speaking about it more uh, lately, uh, where trying to understand the, the reason why like uh, like asking ourselves, well, well why, why am I deferring to such and such person? Uh, and uh, from there, like uh, we're able to get uh, a more constructive answer, uh, I feel, right? So so it could be that like uh, this person has a lot more uh, experience than me. And so, or uh, I'm uh, like, I haven't done the research uh, on this or it could be any number of things, but well, what ends up coming back to us is more of a useful answer to start to, to figure out where can I start to plug holes. Yeah. I, I think it's like one of those things where you just kind of have to peel back those layers and really see like what's the root cause of whatever that issue may be. Maybe it's a, a string of bad trades. It's some whatever it is in your performance. It's it. Sometimes you look at it and you see like, all right, I shouldn't have bought this stock. Like, but why did you buy that stock? Like, what was your thought process in the moment? Uh, was it because you were, you know, trying to maybe chase a certain trade that you heard somebody else was doing really well with? Was it because you had heard from somebody that these companies are, you know, this company's doing so well? Like, what what triggered you into making that poor decision and then finding a solution of like, well, how am I going to make sure that I don't put myself in that position again? And I think that's, mm. it's, it's tough. And I think that's where it takes a lot of uh, constant self-reflection to discover what those things are. But, you know, it's, you got to take the time to step back and say, uh, all right, what's going on here? Interesting. Uh, I've got two more questions for you before we even get into the, the main topics uh, of going through best and worst uh, and, uh, and all that stuff. And by the way, too, for, for everybody that's here there that's watching live, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, secondly, uh, type your questions into the chat. Like uh, I'm looking at, at, the, at the chat as we go. Uh, we'll answer questions uh, like as we go and we'll have a separate open Q&A at the end for everybody. Uh, I already spoke to to Bobby and Steve, and they're good to go until midnight. So, so we'll, <laughs> so we'll be sitting here, like, like uh, ordering takeout or whatever. We ring, we'll be ringing in the new year over here. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, how many how many hours is that? Uh, Forty eight hour. <laughs> Forty eight hour live stream. I might need a bathroom break uh, for going. We'll, we'll stay until New Year's. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, Yo, so one of the questions that I had for you is, uh, what do you think about gut feel? Right, like that—that that might be a lot, like a little like uh, off the wall kind of question, but I'm just curious uh, based on what you guys have said. Well, what do you think about gut feel in relation to taking a trade, um, managing a trade? How does it impact you? Do you think that that's something that oh, like it's just indigestion? Do you think that that's uh, your your experience speaking to you? Do you rely on it? Well, like a any feelings at all on uh, gut feel? Uh, personally, I think during. where you are in your trading kind of career is uh, is definitely super important. Um, you know, I've only been trading four and a half years, so I feel like I'm just starting to get uh, where when I do have those gut feels, I kind of take a step back and then I say, "All right, let me just let me just really do some research before I act on like what feels right." Um, but where earlier on in my career, like 
I mean, my gut didn't really mean anything. There was nothing really behind it. It was just, it, it could be something completely out of what I was trying to uh, do that was triggering me to say, this looks good. Um, so I think in the beginning of your career, it's important to feel those gut feels and then like take a step back and say like, all right, let me just not act on that. Let me say, all right, I see, I see what my you know gut's telling me, but now let me do like a double, triple check before I make the decision. And uh, go forward with what I'm feeling, where I think as you start to get further and further along your career, you can trust the gut a little bit more. Um, but it's also really important to think about where you are mentally. Um, mm. Are you maybe have outside stressors going on in your life? You know, could that be impacting it? Have you been having a really great year? Um, and now you think you're invincible. And now you think I could buy and sell anything and make money. Is that affecting it or vice versa? Are you having a really poor year? And and now your gut feeling is telling you don't buy something because now you're doubting yourself. So I think it's uh, further along in your career, it's really important to kind of have that um, ability to understand yourself and understand like the state of mind that you're in before you just go to trusting your gut. And if everything's in line and everything checks out, and then maybe you can go with your gut. But I think at the, at the end, personally, I, I accept like, okay, my gut's telling me this, but I, I still want to take a step back and say, let me just double check and do the work because all the information's right there in front of you. There's no need to go into that blindly, any trade. Does the gut feel refer to position sizing or to taking a position or both? Could be however you decide to define it, I, I, I suppose. Um, yeah, like I'll, I'll give my two cents. Uh, it, so like for, for me... Uh, when I think of gut feel, um, I'm thinking, well, when I'm observing a trade, right? Like, so the part of my, my process is like, I'm building a, a universe list of stocks and I'm running through that universe list every day uh, to see, uh, am I seeing anything that, that's setting up? And the ones that, that catch my eye where I'm just like, oh, like this one's a gimme, like that's gut feel or this one, like it, it's... Uh, okay, I, I see a couple of flaws, like that part of it is gut feel. I'm not trading based off of solely that, but the ones that look like, wow, like that looks awesome, then that's the first thing to say that, okay, I'm going to do more work on this. And then I'll go through and verify everything. Um, so gut feel for me uh, in the screening process and the, the, the analysis process, like it, it's that initial part. And then there's still that digging in. Um, later on, uh, part of the gut feel in the management process, uh, has to do with sometimes I'll, uh, like today, uh, gut feel played a, a part when I started to, to see, uh, one of the trades that actually both of the trades that I was in, I, I was in two relatively thinly traded names, uh, DFH and MLI, uh, dream uh, Dreamfinders Homes and MLI uh, is uh, Muller Industries. Um, both intended to be short-term trades. Uh, didn't really like the the action to to hold. Uh, like on the weekly, it looks fine. On the move my water bottle. On the daily, on the thirty minute it started to to roll over and so like i'm selling like right here like yeah like i don't want to hold this into the new year right uh, and and worry about 
that it, and so it was basically scratched it uh, and the other one uh bfh similar right well, like so uh where did i buy this um bought it out of this little consolidation here and get these like a million <laughs> annotations um yeah to like to me it makes sense to most people it looks messy so like i saw this it basically got to about uh a 1r trade so make one times my my risk uh bounce back uh rallied and it's just like yeah you know what like uh, and so i'm cutting it in here versus holding it and, and for me that part of it was more of a uh of a gut feel so there's a gut feel for trade management and there's uh but it's not completely like everything's just on a whim it, like there's there's a plan but i so when I have a gut feeling, uh, like I, uh, I want to be able to, and I make a habit of, uh, of trusting myself. I think what you just showed, I would rather gut feel taking a profit than gut feel, um, getting into a position. Hundred percent agree. Mm. So like, like, you, and you, you kind of said it as well, really, pretty, pretty precisely. When I have a gut feel on a stock, I'll put it on a watch list, and. Mm. I have a couple stocks on my watch list for years that I gut feel still think are going to be huge winners, but they just, the market hasn't realized it yet. And where I think for me, if I'm, I'm going to really say there's a gut feel for me, it's looking at, it's like pattern recognition, looking at mm. a stock that has all the can slim attributes that I th think refer back to other canceling stocks of the past. I'll give you a really good example. Recently, Dutch Bros came out. Mm. Um, and this, I made, you know, I made money off. It was actually one of my better successes last year. And to me, the reason why I was drawn to the stock is gut feel. Truthfully, I mean, they had the numbers. So everything aligned, but there was something telling me that this stock is going to be a winner. I do like I watched a few YouTube videos. It just had all the markings of a cancelum stock you know they have this great service uh they they do things a little differently the other thing was for this environment they don't have like a like a starbucks where you sit in in the um location it's all drive-through so to me i'm like this makes a lot of sense that this could be you know one of those next big uh you know uh, i hate to quote 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 kramer regional to national type of uh growth stories and mm. I mean, that, that to me is a gut feel, but it, but the gut feel was within the parameters of all the, the system. I, like I said, I, I do gut feel some profit taking, but, uh, you know, once a, once a stock hits a, a loss, the gut feels gone. Mm. It's, it's funny. Cause talking about stocks, uh, one of, one of my biggest failures, it was, um, not buying a stock and my gut feel about six months prior, just like you said, when you're kind of like doing that. So Zoom was was the stock that I'm talking mm -hmm. about. And it was, um, I think it was June or July of 2019. And I was just doing my screening and I just stopped instantly because I was like, I saw the earnings, sales and stuff. And I was like, whoa, something, something's going on right here. And I started just digging into the company and doing research. And yeah, you could ask Steve, I was hounding him for like days. I'm like, something's up with this company. Something's Mike, up if he was at the meetup, if he was at your meetup, you would have disinvited him. He was so annoying. 
but, <laughs> not, he wouldn't shut up about it. It was just like, oh, all right, man. all right. And so you're talking reason, about Zoom back here in yeah, it was, uh, July actually, 2020? It like, no, it was like, no, sorry, tw uh, 2019. 2019, like, wow. Because it had the sale. It, it had all the characteristics that, that we were looking for. And um, like I said, I just kept kind of banging the drum. The reason that I had so much conviction and actually even did the research is just like you said, it was like, you know, I mean, how many stocks do we all look through every single weekend? And, you, you know, you're screening, 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 screening. And like you said, sometimes there's something in your gut that goes, oh, stop. And that's exactly what happened. Someone was like, oh, stop. Let me look at this company. And I just started digging in. And then I, I gained the conviction because my gut gave me that instinct to say, well, you got to you really got to pause for a second. Something's worth paying attention to. And the, and the whole failure aspect of that is, is I banged the drum on that for month after month after month after month. And then uh, obviously the coronavirus correction occurs. This completely was bucking the trend before the market even turned around. And I was afraid to buy it and didn't buy it. And uh, I missed the big run up. So that was, that, that's why it's my biggest failure. But Interesting. All right. So... Um... We actually, this is a pretty good question that came in from Tortoise King. Switch gears. What should you do if you learn the basics of canceling but lack trading experience? Trades take a while, and I've had a few successful ones, but I want to practice. Is there any resources I could use? Sorry, I'm just trying to digest that a little more. <laughs> <laughs> So what should you do if you learn the basics of canceling but lack trading experience? Um, this, the, well, I, 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 you can't do certain things, um, but I, I hate to say it. Having This is funny. When Bobby first started trading, he was, uh, you know, why don't you tell what happened? The difference between following stocks when you first started and then actually having your first stock. In terms of like watch list versus making a purchase, yes. How mm. different was it? Oh, uh, so different. It's like, it, well, it's like you watch a stock and you're like, oh, the stock's good. The stock's good. I'll sit there and talk to Steve. Like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? But then when you actually have to hit that buy button for the first time, it's like uh, <laughs> you get that nervous feeling because you're just not used to it. Is, mm. is that where you're the direction you're kind of yeah, going down? yeah, yeah. Like you can do things, but experience to me is the ultimate arbiter. Like I'll give you an example. I'm a billionaire uh, with all my trades I made outside of trading. Yeah. But I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> well, you, you know, wanna... normally, you know, it, 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 having your own skin in the game is, it, it just changes everything about how you view trading. You can read, you can, you know, just observe markets. I mean, I think one of the great things you could do is just study the uh, first, what, 40 or 50 pages. I can't remember how many it is and how to make money. 100 and how to make yeah. money in stocks. Look at as many charts as you can. Uh, go back and look at, I'll tell you what, this is probably the best thing to do. Look at history. Completely yeah. study history because things, they're, they're not identical, but there's a lot of history. Uh, I'll give you, this is a really good tidbit. This is probably bad uh, omen because I'm talking about this at the end of the year. How many years has the market been up uh, double digits in a row? Usually, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe it's ever been up four years in a row double digits. I believe it's had successive years of three in a row, but not four. 
so that's probably a bad omen going forward so little things like so they don't always maybe this is the first time in history it happens i could be completely wrong but just looking at how like just going over as many charts as you can seeing the, the like look at like bobby just showed you zoom like uh fleet core look at though look at the charts of prior successes and what were the attributes of them that's you know as many charts as you can look at and, and and understanding that company and looking at it in retrospect is some of the greatest things you can do like think about mm -hmm. we talk about this all the time and i i can't hammer it home enough looking at the stocks that change the way we work live and play really mm -hmm. look at those stocks and understand them because that's what we're looking for in cancel we're not looking for a really it would be great to look at a bunch of 25 percent uh winners but You'd have to, you know, the, the the amount that you'd have to do that, getting a couple of uh, 100 and 200% winners begins to make your life a little bit easier. So that, that that's probably what I would, uh, that's just my own recommendation. The one thing that I would add, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, 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 go ahead, please. Um, I, and Steve hit on this before talking about experience and, and unfortunately a lot of it does come into your experience. And uh, you know, I saw some, uh, the guy, Nick, mentioning paper trading and it's, it, you do sometimes having that, that skin in the game it's it's different when it's real money versus you know fake money it's like you go to work every day and earn that you know it's, it feels a little bit different you get a little more emotional the way i think that you can kind of still get the experience without having as much risk is just simply you know start with a small portfolio start with smaller position sizes and and make it something that you're you're not so concerned about the money and and that's kind of how i started like i I went in there going, I'm gonna. If I lose all this money, I lose all this money. I don't want to, but it's not gonna affect my life. So when you start off smaller, it's a lot easier to focus on gaining experience, doing the you know the strategy and the system properly, uh, versus worrying so much about making money or losing money. Uh, so that, that'd be the one suggestion I'd have is just you know start small. Because here's the one part where you could use like a um, system, like a like a arcade but it, it will never help you look at uh me and bobby go back to this all the time look at february of 2020. it didn't matter how your stock was performing because that was irrelevant you know what i mean you had like like you and, and what i mean fundamentally you had to look at the charts at that time because that was the differentiator and you had to look at it, it's crazy you had to look at the breath all of a sudden i don't do you remember i'm sure you remember that period mike like yeah. All of a sudden stocks around february 10th stopped making new highs they were like like the the breath started getting narrower and narrower and narrower and only there were only a couple of really good performers and there was just something like my i, I could tell you exactly what was going on my portfolio wasn't getting killed but all of a sudden it was like you had a car that was driving fast and it was doing well and all of a sudden it just you know the, the gas was taken off and you just started gliding and you weren't losing money you weren't making money and so so maybe that's a bad comparison but all of a sudden the market just started to churn and it started to slowly actually there within a couple of weeks it, it, it rolled over and it rolled over quick and like you just like you could look at a chart but it's not going to tell you the severity of exactly what's going on uh, vice versa mm -hmm. uh in in march 7th oh probably april 7th of 2020 i'll remember i'll remember that day for the, as long as i live it was one of the most boring days of all time, but yet it was uh, a follow-through day. And I was like, Bill O'Neill wants us to buy a stock today. And then that Monday, this, the market exploded. 
it was up uh, do you remember you guys remember that it was it was, it was up a ton so like there, there's certain context that you can't get from uh looking at charts you have to uh get experience but the one thing that the charts do that's excellent is give you pattern recognition and by the way i have one other suggestion mm. i would go back to the start of uh our podcast and Mike's podcast and watch every single episode. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mm. <laughs> uh, see, see, I think that's great advice. Yeah. <laughs> the progression. Uh, 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 yeah. Like, you, you know, well, like you guys covered it. Um, I don't have uh, anything else to, to add that. That's brilliant. Like that. That's exactly what you would do to start to to get your your feet wet to start to gain experience the, the it's just like you know you could read a book about exercise right? but until you actually go and you do it like you're not going to gain any kind of uh muscle or strength and uh, that that kind of brings me to the other question too like tell me about how you came up well with the uh, discipline mind trading because uh, like hey you can't really see uh, um bobby but uh, like his biceps are like the size of your head you can easily be jack trades as your, your name can I, i'm gonna take this one bobby so we paid um marketing firms and we did a lot of uh research and we reached out on the internet no absolutely not uh bobby take the rest of it it's, it's, it's so mike you're gonna well, be so disappointed i hate to say it this is the most uh, well, thing of the whole podcast. Yeah. Well, it, COVID is really what kind of started it. Um, so like we had mentioned in the beginning with Steve was kind of helping mentor me. We were at Texas Roadhouse, like pretty much every Wednesday. Mm. It was just stakes and stocks every Wednesday. And uh, COVID hit and it was just, you know, restaurants were closed and there was just no way of us really kind of sitting down and, and doing this. So uh, we decided we were going to do Zoom calls. Um, and then a couple friends Kind of heard oh i don't have to sit down and have a have a meal with you guys i could actually just you know throw my computer on okay now i'll hang out now i'll uh, listen mm -hmm. to what you guys gotta say yeah that was and, uh, nobody wanted to come nobody nobody wanted to come roadhouse the minute yeah. it was zoom they're like if i don't have to be in your presence i'll i'll, I'll attend yeah. well no they're all too cheap to, to they're all too cheap to take the cheap meal at Texas <laughs> but um so what ended up happening was you're doing these zoom calls and a couple people came on and and they were kind of not really, they were trying to learn the strategy. So it started going off in a lot of directions. And we finally were like, look, we can't sit on here for four hours. Um, we're going to record it and then we'll send it to you guys. And then when we said that, Steve's like, you know what we should do? We should put it on YouTube and we'll use it as like a journal so that if we want to see kind of how we felt about the market and what was going on or certain stocks at a certain time, we could just go to our you know, YouTube and just kind of look at it. Um, and then I just kind of like, I had told Steve this actually recently, even as a kid, I just always thought like video editing and like stuff like that was, was pretty interesting. And I was like, all right, you know, let me try to have some fun with it. Let me, you know, try to make some branding and things like that. The name itself though. <laughs> so like Steve mentioned, we're, we're big fans of uh, Jocko and the Jocko podcast. And a while back I had created just my trading email. I wanted it to just be like all my trading stuff. So it was very, you know, no spam, no nothing. So I just made like discipline investing Gmail. And I was just like, oh, that's cool. I'm trying to be disciplined, you know, that'll work. And then when we were thinking about the podcast, we were like discipline, discipline, investing, discipline. And we're like, Steve goes, now discipline mind. And it, at the time we started off, it was investing. Uh, 
And then slowly realized, eh, we're not really investors. We're more of traders. It's a little misleading. So then that's kind of how it turned into discipline mind trading. And it, it literally, just literally took it like, just evolved, really. Like within 15 seconds, you'd say, maybe 20 seconds. If that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like You'll my email in. is discipline mind investing. Want to just use that? Uh, no, discipline investing. Want to just use that? Maybe discipline mind investing. Hey, all right, that sounds good. <laughs> that was also part of our, our going to Texas Roadhouse. We would talk about like uh different podcasts like on rogan Mindset like, yeah and... yeah rogan or goggins or lex fridman and all those type of people uh we, we we would discuss that as well so yeah very cool got a good question here from from alex uh alex was saying how did you become more disciplined to follow your trading rules how did you become more disciplined? Because, or, or were you always disciplined in following your rules? I, I admit it. I, 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 I would. Okay, I started out as the most disciplined canceling trader of all time. So this is this is pre computers, of, of affordable computers. I would get out a green ledger pad and I'd write down. I think go have on the weekend, IBD, and I'd write down every stock that was like a, over a 90, uh, 90, 90 relative strength uh, earnings per share. This is even before composite rating. And then as I ventured out and became an unsuccessful trader, failure moved me to become more disciplined. Mm. And then Bobby got lucky enough to meet me and I just I just hammered in, in on him and <laughs> no I mean you're in terms of how I went down the path it was just I mean it was just hammered into me and I, I will say one thing too uh, reading Market Wizards definitely kind of opened my eyes to realize like one of the like all these all these people in this book have vastly different strategies yet the one thing that was constantly repeated kind of interview after interview after interview was having that discipline. Um, if you're asking, if uh, Alexander, if you're asking like, what's a like a thing you could do to become more disciplined? My biggest thing is writing down, writing down your rules, checklists, and just having everything like laid out in front of you. You know, having a checklist, having these are my rules, this is what I'm going to follow, and something to kind of always fall back on um, to just physically see in front of you. I think that helps helps me a lot. And post trade analysis. Yes, that to me is unbelievably key. Post trade analysis because. Particularly, there are two times I think it's unbelievably helpful. Number one, when you lose or you 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 don't execute your trade properly, um, and the second part, and this gets to be probably the most frustrating thing as an investor, and it, and it goes back to what you're saying, Michael, uh, on that fleet fleet core. It's not fleet core, was it? Fleet core? Yeah, oh, yeah, fleet core. core. Yeah, uh, that fleet core trade. You only got twenty five percent of a stock that had a lot more meat on the bone. Right. And like, like sometimes like to me, those, like, why didn't I get more of that trade? And that's, that's something I think that's super important as well. Cause, uh, every, every person has a story of where they were in a super winner. Um, like, why did you ignore what the market was telling you? Um, just, just really all you're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes. It's just trying to minimize those mistakes. Uh, and the more that you do this, the more you realize how important that discipline is and just to have systems that try to keep you in place uh from from uh avoiding you know just just trying to do things on your own that's at least how i feel about it 
Right, yeah, well, like thinking about it back then, uh, part of the reason why I deferred to some of those other people uh, was because uh, I didn't have a plan that I had uh, a ton of conviction in. Uh, and there's uh, a point where you, you think that were uh, like, yeah, well, when I was trying to figure this stuff out where uh, I'm questioning like, am I doing this right? Or is there something else uh, that that's wrong here? So like kind of the, uh, so trusting the system, but not trusting myself to implement the system, if that. A hundred percent. That's, yeah, that's one of the biggest problems. That's why, that's why people veer, you know what I mean? Like it, we always think that what was it? FOMO is the big word now, like, you yeah. know, fear of missing out. Everyone thinks that everyone else is smarter than them. Everyone thinks that, that whatever they're doing might not be the best, but sometimes like when you find a system like cancel them, I can't, like, I, I mean, I could just mm. keep hammering this home. I could go for the next, you know, between now and new year's, just keep hammering this home. Cancel provides you all the tools that you need. If your aunt Sally or Kramer or Warren Buffett tells you to do something, you can't listen to them. You got to listen to the system. And I'm going to tie what Alexander saying and tortoise King said the, the hardest part is between the time that you start and you get that conviction of exactly doing the system right and properly and having that discipline. And in between there, it like, like I said, I admit this freely. And, and, and this is one of the biggest parts of my journey of how I've gotten to be a much better trader. I deviated from it. It was a huge mistake. I've left so much money on the table. It's it's criminal. But by understanding my mistakes and, and, and being completely open-minded and, and blaming only one person, which is me, and, and being accountable, that's going to help you grow your discipline because you know that every time you make a trade, you have to be disciplined. You're, you're putting you're putting your money out there. Like, you know, people go to, to, to casinos and they have systems. Like when you, you, but you're not betting, you know, 20 or $50 or a hundred dollars, you're betting thousands of dollars. So you better have a system that that's aligned and that you feel confident in. Otherwise, what are you doing? It's, it, it's, it, could be, it could be, it begins to be crazy. So, and, and listen, we all hear stories of our friends and families who, yeah, I'm going to buy this stock with no research. And somehow that person becomes wealthy or vice versa. You hear about someone buying a stock and they get killed. Yeah. It's because they're, they're doing the wrong things. And, and, uh, what we want to do is, you know, maximize our successes and uh, minimize our losses. And, uh, you know, the only way I, that I believe that it's done is through discipline. So, you know, anything you could do to stretch your mind, do discipline in any other part of your life, too, I think is, is, is huge. I mean, Bobby does triathlons or used to do triathlons. Um, haven't haven't this year. <laughs> he goes, Michael noticed he goes to the gym. Bobby's a very disciplined guy. Uh, you know, he does uh a lot of our editing or all our editing which will be a lot of our editing soon um yeah it, you know it, it's just you know the discipline that you have in everywhere else in your life flows over to trading I'm, I'm sure mike has that happened to you as well yeah absolutely like the more discipline or the or it could happen the the other way too like if uh, where you and bobby mentioned this earlier like uh, let's say you're having a, a rough day right and you're you're low energy, and then you you see a chart. Uh, how you perceive that that chart or that that trade is going to be different than if you approach it and you're uh, you're energetic and you're alert and you're aware. Uh, like it's uh, it could do it from an energy perspective, it, from your from people's habits. Um, like if you're the 
undisciplined in one area, uh, like uh, it could bleed into other areas. And if you start to improve in an area, like well, let's say that that you start to uh, start a new habit, right? Like uh, you're going to start with eating an apple, right? Uh, an apple a day, uh, right? Like, uh, and why not start there, right? Like, oh, where else would you start? So uh, let's say that that that's your your new habit. Well, if you uh, starting to become disciplined with this maybe you start to become disciplined with something else and it starts to be a, a snowball effect but uh, if you start to, to slack off in one thing like uh, like there's been so many times where uh, like i could remember that it, if my morning routine would start to get upset that it would tend to affect the rest of the day um i've gotten a lot better at both being disciplined in the morning and catching myself on the days that, that I don't to not slip. But, but yeah, like one thing can certainly affect everything else. Agreed. hundred percent agree. I think, I think when I'm, when I'm normally treating my best, um, meditating, I'm stretching, I'm mm. working out. Um, I'm obviously part of the discipline doing my routine religiously, like, and not just like mulling over, like really doing my routine and like, I'm just everything I feel like in my life is just like, I'm, I'm checking all the boxes, you know what I mean? And look, some days it's like, I'm checking the box, but I'm just barely getting it done. And some days I'm like flying through perfectly, but I've same thing I've noticed. The more I have all aspects of my life dialed in that just completely bleeds into trading. And I just feel like I'm much more in line, line with trading. Uh, that one of my biggest failures, I don't know if you want me to bring it up now or, or kind of hold off. Um, it's up to Go you. <laughs> yeah. Like, like uh, you could mention it now and we'll dig deeper later. But uh, so I went to uh, Oklahoma for, I'm an air traffic controller. Uh, so I went to Oklahoma for air traffic control training and it's a pass fail type of thing with like 50% pass rate. And while I was there, I said, I'm, I'm not going to trade because I have to commit to what's going to be my career. When mm -hmm. I came back, I was riding this high of, I passed, I'm an air traffic controller now. And, you know, I know where I'm going to be living and stuff. And I was barely working out. Like I was kind of just getting it done. I was hanging out with all my friends. I was just like barely doing my stock work. I was just, everything in my life was just like, it was more like I was just enjoying life and I wasn't like getting what I need to get done. And I had a 40% drawdown that year all because I was just trading horribly because I wasn't doing the work and I didn't have the discipline. And it, and it kind of just, it was through all aspects of my life really that kind of caused that to just fall downhill. Uh, yeah. So there again, like other parts of life, affecting trading yep the more awareness that we have about all this stuff man yeah disciplined mind disciplined <laughs> trading disciplined everything yeah yeah, yeah. discipline uh, is but, a, one of the most important words especially when you if you if you want to become a, a great trader i think it i think it's probably the most important quality that, that and that's why we put it in our title but we we kind of you know like we said before, we kind of like those people who, you know, William J. O'Neill, I mean, he's about as disciplined as anyone as you could possibly find. You know what I mean? When you like Dan Zanger, I guarantee I, I've only heard of him on the periphery. Guaranteed he's disciplined. Look, Mark Minervini, you know, you see him all the time on Twitter, super disciplined guy. I don't think there's anyone mm -hmm. who, who trades who's great. And Bobby said it before, all the people in Market Wizards, name, you know, all the above. 
I'll use a name that we love, Tom Basso. Yeah. Like, like people with We're the highest. Ready. Yeah. These are people with the highest levels of discipline. It's Tom Brady, unbelievably high level of discipline. Bill Belichick. I mean, even Warren Buffett. And, that, and that's coming from a Jet there. fan that just said yeah. that. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> I love Tom. I, I love Bill Belichick. Uh his work ethic and everything else about him. I hate his guts on Sundays. So <laughs> sorry, sorry, all your Patriot. Well, actually, I'm not sorry, all your Patriot fans. You guys have gotten the best of me. So <laughs> yeah. Oh man, he, here's a another really good question from Alex. Uh, so Alex was saying, what did you do uh to not take trading losses so personally? Um I what it's it's tough. It's that's really a, tough to do. That's a great question. It is a great question. Explain. I had experience is definitely one, but I, I think one of the things that I finally like started to tell myself to do was as long as I, I took a loss within my pre-planned risk. So whether that was 2%, 5%, 7%, 8%, whatever my loss was planned out when I made that trade, as long as I did not exceed that loss, to me, I said, all right, that's a win. I followed my strategy. This is this is kind of calculated into my trading. These this is gonna happen. If I took that loss and I didn't let it slip any further, I said, All right, I didn't allow myself to get emotional. I executed, I did the right thing, I followed my plan, and I looked at it like, all right, that was a good thing. It's very, very, very hard, but just saying like I did what I said I was going to do. And I th I think that helped me a lot. I think that's a great, great, great uh response for me it was I, I it's funny that alex brings this up because i used to take it personally when mm. i deviated I from chancellor some... I, I i did but one of the great i i forgot who i heard this on I, it was on michael Covelt's podcast i don't remember the guest but the guy said you become a great trader when you go into a position and on the fifth time you're able to make that after four losses you go into that fifth time and you make money in it so it's basically like you get kicked out of a trade, get kicked out of a trade. And then all of a sudden that trade becomes an awesome trade. That happened to Bobby last year with AMD. Yeah. He, it, it was his favorite stock. So fourth, fourth or, fourth yeah, or so fifth buy so I actually. Yeah. Can I tell the story? Yeah, go ahead. So last year, Bobby, like I was talking about Zoom, this guy couldn't shut up about AMD. Like I <laughs> didn't want to, I swear to God, I didn't, Bobby's really annoying. He doesn't seem like, I seem like the annoying <laughs> one on this podcast. He's the one who's annoying. Uh, but, if anybody uh, wants to hear the truth, they can see our show. <laughs> <laughs> so he would just talk about AMD. And for me, I, 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 you know, paid attention, but not, you know, I couldn't not pay attention. So all of a sudden AMD had this great chart. I was like, this is perfect. And it was the first time I was going into AMD. So I bought the stock and I called him up and I'm like, Bobby, are you going to buy this stock? And what was your answer? I was like, uh, uh, I don't even know if I said anything. I, it was just more of like noises. Of like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just remember you just like said, you said something like, I don't even remember if you I'll remember exactly what I said. I go, this looks perfect. Why wouldn't you be going with this? You've been you've been the one who told me about this. This is the reason you're the reason why I'm buying. I swear to God, if he didn't hammer me, I wouldn't have been looking at AMD. And it was all he was completely responsible for my like 40% trade last year in, in AMD. And I'm like, dude, you, you're the one who knows the, everything about this company. Why wouldn't you buy it? Yeah. And then I and then I said, I, I think the minute we hung up the phone, 
I think I was at work. I forget where I was, but I, I pulled my phone out and I'm like, all right, let me take a look at this. And I just started flipping through and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I'm like, Steve's right. I'm like, I, I, I keep saying it. I'm like, I think I took three losses before. It was like, I think a 7%, a 6% and like an 8% loss. And, and I, and, and I actually remember, I don't know if it was a podcast or something. It might've been the Covell one. Somebody saying like, Sometimes your trade's going to fail, your trade's going to fail, your trade's going to fail, but the, it, if it works and it looks perfect, you still got to be willing to take the risk. And then yeah. I'm like, I did. And I was just glad I did. So thank you, Steve, for, for yeah. giving me it's, a little kick. It, 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 Alexander, it's just experience. It's hard. It's This is, again, one of those things that that you could, you could look at a chart, you could do one of those uh, arcades dealing with charts. Until you take, yeah, exactly. Until you actually do it, it just your mind is a weird thing. It's different when you have skin in the game versus just doing some sort of game. Like I said, I'm a I'm a paper trader billionaire. I'm the I'm the greatest trader mm -hmm. of all time. <laughs> I'm not as good. I, I got to start learning how to do it uh, with my own money. But you know, it, it, it's really it's it, it's super uh, super hard. Yeah, but it's just it's just that process of. You know, and 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 give, dealing through the grind, it's it's hard as far as I how I look at it. One of the things uh, that helped me was uh, when I started to shift towards looking at blocks of trades, not like looking at this one trade needing to be a win or a loss, this one trade, but like looking at like uh, ten trades, a block of ten, a block of twenty, and then uh, also looking at the the win rate over uh, a year, over a quarter, and. For when you start to have that data, they, you start to, to well, like my batting average is 45%, right? So that means that I'm losing more often yep. than I'm winning. But uh, on average, I'm making uh, close to twice my risk uh, on a winning trade and on a losing trade. I'm losing uh, about 0 0.07. Yep. All right. So, so that. That's a winning system. So, but most of the time it's going to be a loser. So, like random trade, like oh, the, this one turns out to be a loser. Okay, on to the next one. And uh, we also did a, a study too. Um, Stu, the uh, one of the the guys uh, that I coach with, uh, brilliant. Uh, he gave the this talk about um, how to to figure out uh, potential uh, losing streak. Uh, given your batting average. And so with a batting average of uh, 45%, uh, and Stu's about at that same batting average as well, of over 100 trades, there's going to be a losing streak of about eight in there, right? Now, if you are unprepared for something like that and you're just getting loser after loser after loser, it's just like, oh man, like is something wrong with me? Uh, if you're brand new to the system, like, this is a piece of crap. Just throw it out the window. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it, it's a matter of like understanding the system, understanding your your own performance, and looking at it at that aggregate level. Um, also, I think rolled up into there has to be your journaling and your post analysis because how else are you going to get the those kind of stats? Yeah. So setting expectations, journaling, tracking post analysis, all those core skills and stepping back and looking uh, at the big picture. Can I ask you a question? Uh, what did you yeah. think your batting average was before you actually saw your batting average? Oh man, so so uh, I've been tracking my batting average for for years now. So uh, like I've known that it's kind of been around that that level. Um it, it tends to hover between so like 45 is pretty much like 
stable. Um, sometimes uh, it'll ramp up to about like 60, 70 uh, percent, like in uh, in the period between like uh, the first week of October to mid-November. Like I, I could do no wrong. Yep. And then after that, like, like uh, OK, like things started to get choppy. Paul like stepped out. I was in cash for for a while. Um, but but yeah, like you'll have periods, too, where you, you could have like an eight, nine, ten uh, trade winning streak. Um, streaks are, are a thing. Um, but, uh, to go back, well, when did I start to figure that out? Well, when I started journaling, well, when I started, uh, journaling, well, did you think well, you were but, like, did you think you were like 70% winning or no, 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 not even close to that. So like, well, I thought I, 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 that's started, what I thought I was, I swear to God, I thought it was like 60. I, I'm, I might even be lower than you. I think I'm about like a 40% win rate. Mm. And I swear to you, I thought I was probably like a 60 or 70% win rate. And I, I was that's like, well, that's because you're very cocky. No, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. I'm, I'm a very arrogant guy. I really am. But you know, I have, I'm Italian. I have a hard head, man. Um, you know, I think, I, I think I'm never wrong. So I thought it was probably closer to 100. percent But I knew I had some losses in there. <laughs> uh, I'm only half Italian, so I'm a little less cocky. <laughs> but it, it was when I started journaling, and so that goes back about. Uh, 12 years when I first started or first found the New York City IBD meetup. That, right. That's when I finally started to get serious about trading. And those guys were saying, like, look, like you got to journal your stuff and here's how. And, and so I started to look at that and realize, like, wow, like, OK, yeah, yeah, I kind of am all over the place here and then started to find some consistency. So, yeah, I never really thought that I was uh, like 80, 90 percent uh, like I, I was uh, pretty aware of how much the market was kicking me in the face. <laughs> right. One of the other things that uh, hopefully is helpful to Alexander and, and uh, Bill O'Neill says this in his book, the market doesn't care about us. You know what I mean? Mm. And like, if you have that, that, that idea, that thought process that it's not about you, it's about what, what's going on in the market. It, it begins to take off some of the sting of, of, of losing. Mm-hmm. Here's a really great question for for Matt too. Um, so Matt is saying, what would you say helped you move from looking at the money part of the trade to trading the trade? For me, this is this one was like the, one of the things I did super super early on. I don't even know where I figured this out from, but on laptop, phone, everything that I look at my stocks immediately immediately losing the uh profit loss dollar amount and switching everything to percent just move mm. everything to percent and it's like now all i'm thinking about is what my plan was gains losses executing at the right percentages executing on the charts and just completely getting rid of you know daily and overall year to date all of that profit loss and the dollar amount just i completely removed it and it, it kind of helped me just kind of forget about it. And the only time I really think about that is when I'm doing post analysis type stuff. Um, for me, uh, we really like John Wooden uh, and and a lot of his philosophies. Me, uh, me particularly, I love the guy. And he, he never talks about winning or losing. He talks about just, you know, executing. And that to me is, is just, just looking at the chart, looking at, like, I'll give you an example. I talked about Pfizer earlier. One of the reasons why I sold it, it broke the 10 day moving average. I said at some point it's, it was like pretty high, highly extended above it. And uh, I was like, once it breaks the 10 day, I don't feel confident enough that uh, 
based on what's going on with Omicron being a lot less severe, that people are going to be buying this hand over fist, thinking that this is going to be a super winner. So where is it that I can minimize my risk, but yet, you know, try to take that longer uh, term uh, approach that maybe it'll bounce off of something and just, you know, um, I think it's, it's, that's a hard, I have to say it's, it, that's another, everything about investing is hard. You know what I mean? I don't think there's, there's anything easy. I actually, I think there's one thing that's easy. It's actually buying a stock. I truly think that's easy and everything else is uh, hard from there. Uh, but for some people that's actually gets to be hard because they're too nervous to do it. But um, yeah, this is all about experience and, and uh, it's going back to, to Tortoise King's uh, question about, you know, how do you get experience? The only way to get experience is experience. It's yeah. sometimes it's sometimes it sucks when you're starting, but you know you got to be patient and uh, you know just wait for for all these different scenarios to to occur, and then you can uh, build off of it. One of the things that I think about is uh, my relationship uh, to money, uh, and so the, that's uh, that's changed uh, over time, and I believe that it, it likely will continue to to change and evolve in different ways over time. So. When I first started out, uh, like money was very dear to me, and uh, not to say that I don't care about it at all, because like uh, of course my money's important. But uh, back then, uh, like it was so dear to where uh, if I'm in a trade and I started to see the trade moving up, uh, like I, I would be the guy that would want to take the gains uh, quickly, and I wouldn't want to cut losses because like oh well uh, it'll go back up. Like I don't want to I don't want to lose like that that kind of mentality. Um, part of that was wanting the market to pay for the different things, right? Like, so the market is going to get me out of this job. Uh, the market is going to pay for a car. The, the market is going to pay for this, pay for that. Like when I started to, uh, gain an awareness, right? And so like all that stuff is just happening in my subconscious, right? The, so I'm taking actions based on this, but I don't know that I'm taking actions based on this. When I started to have a level of awareness that these are what my money beliefs are, these are what my, uh, and how it's affecting me, that's when I was starting to, or I was able to start to uh, compartmentalize how, uh, the like allowing the trades to perform how they're going to perform um, and to, not be as attached to the the, the dollars in the account. Um, I ran into that trouble again later on, and then this is a only going back uh, about three years, right? So uh, that first part well, was like it, over ten years ago. Then uh, fast forward to three years ago. That's when I uh, finally had the discipline where the it's uh, profitable for and consistent for many years. Uh, built up uh, the war chest and uh, finally, you know, like had uh, enough saved to, you know, screw you to the man and, and now doing this stuff full time. But um, the relationship with money there changed again because now I went from having, uh, you know, a stable job, uh, money coming in, trading was great, but now the reliance on trading is different right like now it, it becomes more of uh, you know like like there's still uh, like other legs on the table right but you take one away and now all of a sudden this table's not as sturdy so 
that there was overcoming that hurdle too. So um, part of it is uh, understanding the relationship uh, with money. Um, I, I think that it, like personally, I, I find uh, relying on trading as a sole source of income, uh, personally, I find that very challenging. Um, there's uh, like I have friends that have done it successfully for for years. Um, uh, like uh, hats off to them. I think that part of it is knowing uh, knowing yourself. Um, so the uh, all the meditation, all the beliefs, exercises, all that stuff that we've talked about. Uh, like it's that kind of stuff that becomes super important. Uh, and then you you know what your your operating system is uh, up here and how to to work with it and how to uh, evolve it. Yeah, I, I, your perspective is uh, great just too, because like you said, you, I mean, you're in a different position than us where, you know, this is a big source of your income. Steve and I are both have regular, you know, just normal jobs. So I, I, I've, it was interesting to hear from you, just yeah, kind of your perspective. Yeah, next I know Friday, you're facing a different challenge than us, you know? Yeah, next Friday, I, I, I get a paycheck. Yesterday, I uh, updated my <laughs> 401k plan for next year. So there's definitely different different levels to this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I know a little bit about what you're talking about because I manage some of my family's money. Um, mm. And, you know, it get it, it does get to be a little bit more complicated, like, you, you know, but if, you know, to me, ultimately, it comes down to this. Uh, like, I love sports. So you, you heard me talk about I'm a Jet fan and the Jets never execute. The Jets never stick to a plan. It's like because they get behind all the time, they always have to, you know, Im improvise. And to me, the more that you stick to a plan and, and you do because you, you see it in, in the middle of a game, you know what I mean? Like the more you execute to the plan and the system that you're using, the better off you're going to be. This is where, you know, you see a, a team that's running the ball great. And then all of a sudden they start passing like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Or if they're blitzing all the time, then they stop blitzing. And the other, other team starts scoring. You're like, what are they doing? It's just sticking to that plan that's consistently working to me. And I think that's uh, a, a huge part of, uh, you know, just – any system is just about building upon itself. And the more that you execute and the more that your confidence in your execution, I think money then begins to go out the window. Is, is it great, you know, at night looking and seeing like you're up five grand or six grand or whatever it is? Yeah, it's awesome, but uh, you know, it's all about if if you can't if you can't consistently replicate what you're doing over and over again, that one trade is just luck. You know what I mean? The whole part about this is building a skill that you can consistently replicate over and over and over again, in and you could perform in in um, bear markets and you could perform in bull markets. That's ultimately what we're striving for, and when you do that. The level of confidence that you have across the board completely changes and, and really uh, shifts your mind that you're doing the right thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if that answers it, but I think it answers it brilliantly. I couldn't be, uh, it couldn't be brilliant if it came out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that Italian confidence? Come on. Uh, uh, I have confidence, but I also know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. Let's talk about biggest successes. What's the biggest success the from 2021? Right? So we're going to talk about biggest successes, worst failures, lessons learned, 
and prep for 2022. How many offices were you? Um, trade wise, uh, I actually started off the year with, uh, so I, I don't do much swing trading. It's, it's something that I probably started to incorporate over the past like year and a half, two years. Um, and I decided to take a, a swing trade in uh plug and plug early, early. Yeah. P L U G. All right. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, look over here. So, sorry if you guys hear my dog in the background. Not <laughs> Plug. So earlier in the year, so that's like somewhere so, in this move. Yeah, so on the sixth of January is when I actually made my purchase. So, oh wow, so that's down here. Yeah, so that's um, one hell of a move. So this was like one of those I. I earlier on in my swing trading kind of thing and i was watching the stock on and run and uh it was funny because actually one of my uncles um who doesn't trade just brought this company up to me and i looked at the chart and i was like oh it looks like it's in this like kind of downtrend it's like pulling into the 21 day moving average um and then i was like let me just kind of draw a trend line um kind of across this like downtrend towards the 21 and just you know if it breaks that downtrend i'll, I'll put a position on and then I'll I'll just kind of try to ride the trend up from there and just and just see how I can execute on like a swing trade like this. Um, and so on the the six, you could see that it kind of like broke that downtrend, bouncing off that twenty one day moving average, um, and I put a position on it. I mean, the thing just completely skyrocketed. Um, the other reason why I find for me this being successful is um, I didn't get so hyped up and say like I'm you know as as people say today uh, I'm riding this to the moon. Uh, I mm. took a, a 27% uh, profit right off the bat. I took about a third of the position off. And I said, this was a swing trade. I was just trying to just kind of get a quick gain out of something and see if it kind of started perking up. So I was disciplined enough to at least lock in some gains. Um, and then I, so that was on the 7th, which was the next day. Where, so I quickly locked in some quick gains. And mm. then um, basically from the 12th, yeah. 13th, and 14th, I sold like a little bit. Thirty percent gain in there. Yeah, so I think it was uh, twenty-seven on the the second sell on the twelfth. It was like a seventy-five percent gain, I think. And then I just kind of kept trimming on the way up. Um, and then I said, with my final position, when I un when I closed or got close to closing below the prior day's low, is when I was going to take it off. So that was the fourteenth, um, actually. Um, it kind of showed some weakness and, and that was when I took my, my final position off was on the 14th. So, uh, that was, I was just proud of myself too, because it was like, I had a plan. I kind of like perfectly executed it. Um, it was one of my like real first successful swing trades that I've made to that extent. Um, and I also just liked how I kind of kept to my rules and said, all right, I got a certain percentage gain. I got to lock some of it in and, and not get greedy. Wow. Well done. My turn. Well done. Yeah, go for it. What I'd say technically my best trade. I have had a couple of real good trades. The one I liked the most for me personally was uh Biontech, BNTX. BNTX. Yes. The uh probably this is gonna be politically uh uh people aren't gonna like this politically. It's one of the vaccine makers. Okay. So I bought that on 
July 21st. So yeah, so that stock was breaking out of a, a base uh, and it just took off. I sold some at 25% actually, cause it just ran up so quickly. And then I sold out, was it? Uh, so that was the, what day was that? The 21st. And then I sold the rest of my position out on August 4th at 380. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never sneeze oh, at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run right there. Yeah, it was so extended over everything else. I was just like, you know what? Um, I, I, so on my plan, I only wanted to take this for a 20 to 25% trade. This was, it just felt so strong. And, you know, I kind of, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, this is a, um, uh, was it eight week rule from IBD? I was like, this is so strong. There's something going on here. And it wasn't even close to the 10 day moving average. It was so far extended. And at that point with that on that 380, I was like, this is ridiculous. Let me take that. The reason why I like this is it was like technically a very sound trade. So like I've had other successes and like we talked about Dutch bros, a couple oil companies, uh, Callum Petroleum, uh, NVIDIA like five times. But I think I just like this trade technically because it was just executing the system almost ideally. Uh, it was a, pr a proper buy point, proper sell point. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked out really well for me. And it was just a quick gain in a, in a very short period of time. And let me ask you this, uh, and uh, and Bobby, I'll ask uh, you too uh, after Steve. But uh, well, what are the lessons that, uh, like some of these big, uh, the most successful trades? Like, oh, what are some of your takeaways from them? Uh, like, aside from the gains, of course, right? Like, oh, like this one, learning? yeah, yeah. This one was just handling it perfectly and just trusting the system. That was it. Like, just well trusting the system. Yeah, like like this was. To me, that's why I'm highlighting this. I had some trades where I made more money and higher percentages, but this one was technically like sound. It was actually executing the cancel system the way it was supposed to be. You know, it 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 was a proper base. I, I, I guess probably someone's going to nitpick and say you should have held it the whole eight weeks. But to me, it got so far extended. I was just like, in was it how many days is that? Uh, from the eight from the twenty first to 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 the fourth. I mean, that's I went two weeks, not even two weeks. I was in this yeah. trade. You know what I mean? And like, I got over a hundred points. I'm like, you know, <laughs> at a certain point you got to take your profits. Yeah, 11 bars, 15 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's really, uh, you know, just it, it, to me, it's always about going back to the system, you know, like I, I love to keep saying it, it's just replicating it over and over again. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't. I truly don't think because I pretty much almost sold it at the top. You know what I mean? Like, could I have held it a little bit longer? Yeah, but I, you know what? I have zero. This ready. This is probably one of the only trades this year I have zero regrets on. That's probably the mm. thing I learned about it. Yeah, for for me, I think it was like it's just having a plan. Like, mm. I mean, that thing took like a parabolic kind of run up. Um, but I felt like I never got emotional because I just had a very simple defined plan on what I was going to do. And every day I just took a look and I said, all right, I'm, I'm just going to kind of keep selling strength, selling the strength. And then like in my plan, I like had an idea of exactly what I was going to do. So, um, it's, that's just, I think the biggest thing, because especially when you have something that explodes, it, it's so hard to keep the emotions out. It's just it, like, mm -hmm. you just get, I mean this is that's what you want to see so you just get so excited and then 
sometimes the stock pulls back and you, you, maybe you sell too quick or you sell, you know, you don't sell when you should have sold. And I think because I just had a plan, I just kind of stuck to it. Um, that was my biggest lesson. It was just like, I felt internally so comfortable in the trade because I was just like, all right, I'm just going to do what it tells me to do. I'm just going to do what it tells me to do. You know, I'm just following my plan and try not to get emotional. Um, you know, it, this is a stock that I could have easily started saying, like, I don't know if I should sell it. it. It might just keep going. And I was like, yeah, if it keeps going, it keeps going. I'm just following my rules. Mm. So it, there, this might sound like a, a weird question, but when you're now, when are you developing your plan? Like, is your plan like evolving as you're going? And it's like, uh, OK, like I have my set of rules and I'm allowing the market to try to tell me, like, OK, like. Uh, and you're figuring out the the sell decision in the moment, or is it uh, almost uh, like kind of pre-planned where it's just like, okay, if the stock breaks such and such moving average, or if it hits a certain price target, like that kind of thing. Like a... Bobby, is that uh, for me or Bobby? Uh, uh, both, okay. both, uh, Bobby first. Um, so with me, this was actually, the first full year where I completely defined all my sell rules on upside and the downside, swing trades, longer term trades, regular, just strict trend following position type of trades. Um, so that's, I think the core of my kind of planning is like, sorry if you guys keep hearing my dog. <laughs> um, no, I don't hear that's it at the, all. Okay, good. So that's the core of my, my planning. Um, but on a daily basis, that's where I'm kind of doing like the technical analysis and, and I'm seeing like, all right, here are my laid out rules. Is there anything that I'm seeing in the chart that is a hint that maybe I should be selling earlier or, or something along those lines. Mm. So it's like, I have my core foundational rules and then after the market's closed on a daily basis, I'm assessing what the charts telling me, assessing also big piece of what's going on in the overall market and then determining what my kind of lines in the sand are on the upside and on the downside for the next day. Interesting. And do you have these rules uh, like written somewhere or are they in your head or they'll, well, what? Yeah, this, uh, I have like a Excel sheet and I just kind of have tabs. So it's like, I have my buy rules in the tab. I have for like a swing trade. I have my sell rules for a swing trade. I have my position, I call it, which is more of my, my kind of traditional canceling type of trade, buy and sell rules in two different tabs. And then like, uh, I call it my true market leader, something that I kind of want to do. Well, hopefully if the stock does do the right thing, maybe a longer term hold for multiple months, buy and sell rules for that. And then I, uh, I break that down in terms of like, my first thing's like the red zone. That's where my loss rules are. And I have a list of all of the different things that I kind of follow from there. Then it's like, I call it no man's land that like zero to 5%, like what am I going to do based on action around this area? And then kind of so on, so forth. So that was that was one of the things I kind of really, really fine tuned this year, um, just kind of in terms of like uh, my system and my thought process. Steve, okay. So on this Biontech trade for me, um, I, as I said, uh, I had like a twenty percent, twenty five percent sell rule, but because it was acting so strongly, I sold a quarter of my position at that point, and then I let it run. Once this stock uh, exploded, and uh, I mean, it clearly looks different on the chart that you have up versus when it was live. It was so far extended that 
it was just understanding uh like the gap between the 50-day moving average and the stock i yeah, knew that point, I, I, it was like yeah, 75 percent yeah. above the 50-day yeah that begins to be a danger zone now i also knew this this one was a little easier than than other stocks. This is a, a vaccine maker. There's mm -hmm. only there was only so much of a market by that point. We were in August. Uh, basically, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that took off when Delta started to populate. That's why I believe I I could be off on that. But I, I already knew that there were like in New York, I think like 80% of the people were already vaccinated adults, and I knew that they. Uh, there's only a limited amount of um, people to still be vaccinated. Yes, there are people around the world, but their earnings weren't. This was a. This is more of a. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure BioNTech's going to develop some other drugs, but you know, their earnings are going to decline by 12% next year on the market smith that I'm looking at. And you know, what the hell is going to happen the year after that once the pandemic goes away? And I believe this ran up that they were going to be giving out the third. Um, the third shot so that the, the, this vaccine was going to last that will be out there longer. So I, I you know what I mean? It, it's just a little, I don't, don't want to say gutted. It's just so certainly understanding the valuation of the company based to other biotech companies. These are non fund, uh, non technical things that I, that add up into my assessment, understanding how like this is a $62 billion company. There aren't that many $62 billion uh, biotech companies out there, uh, understanding the market and understanding technically, like how much really more can this really go up? I mean, could, I'm sure it could have mm -hmm. went up, but I was content and satisfied with the gain that I had at that point that I didn't want to risk, you know, pulling that, you know, ha having it reverse on me, which it ended up doing, you know, one, two, three, four, five days later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like that, that, that's kind of a lot like, uh, so that both of you guys made points that lead into both my uh, biggest trading success uh, as well as my uh, biggest trading failure <laughs> for 2021. So uh, like the, the biggest success, uh, like I was actually in Doge like early on. Um, let me see what, did I pull the right? Because there's multiple of these. Um, Got the annotations on this one here. So Doge, well, like I uh, got in back in February and basically ran it up for the for the whole move. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, like uh, that was kind of an insane. Like I, you know, it's approaching it lot like the my intent with it was to be long term and every single crypto trade that that I've done a lot like crypto has been uh, far and away a lot like uh, where I've made the my biggest gains this year and last year um but uh every time I've approached crypto uh from the perspective for it to be long term so to hold for for more than a year i've been completely unsuccessful with uh holding for more than a year because uh, like i just can't see like giving back uh, a thousand percent gain right like like even over over here and like sitting through that sharp pullback like that that was rough um it, 
but well, when we got over here and it's like making this uh, this move out, like in the moment, I'm like, oh wow, I'm gonna hold this uh, until like hits ten bucks. Uh, <laughs> let's say um, that that uh, it, that plan quickly went out the window. Like uh, when you know you you're sitting through a fifty percent drawdown. Uh, it's a, and seeing like an 800% uh, or a thousand percent gain turn into like 500, like that, that's still fantastic. But when you're up more than a thousand percent, it's crazy. So I actually ended up selling on this rebound here uh, on May 14th. And I remember that day because we were in Disney. Uh, so my, my wife would love to hear that she loves Disney. <laughs> yeah, like uh, for personal uh, successes, uh, like that. That was actually uh, like something that I had written down. Uh, like I, I, I started the uh, keeping a, a daily journal, like personal uh, a journal, uh, like or whatever is uh, inside my head. Like trying to get from the day uh, as much as I can. Um, that like this will. Uh, like the Disney World was one of them. Um, yeah, so there was this trade lot, like uh, percentage gain lot, like that. That's the the largest percentage gain. Uh, the I'll lump this into both the best and the biggest failure, right? So worst failure was this one here. Upstart. What do they do? <laughs> right so uh yeah we, we all know that so yeah <laughs> um so what happened to me with this right and part of the reason uh why bobby i mentioned that uh it ties into some of what you were saying uh, that i saw this as a true market leader mm -hmm. so or potential true market leader and so uh, when I bought this, uh, like I bought this breakout right here, right? And I rode that up and I uh, I like to scale out of my positions. So I'll uh, take a little bit off when I have one times my risk, a little bit more at two times my risk, and then <laughs> to scale out that way. So so I have my, my scale outs and I'm holding uh, onto a piece, right? And then it comes back in. Uh, and kisses the the 21 and bounces. So uh, I'm like starting to get a little bit cute with this because I'm thinking this is a true market leader. So I add a little bit back right in there, right? And then, mm -hmm. it, then it comes back around and then it, it pops out over here and I add a little bit more on that, right? So, so I have two more ads. I have my original position, like so full position here and a small ad over in this neighborhood, a small ad over here, and then we're coming to earnings. And uh, I decide that I'm gonna hold through earnings because true market leader, right? <laughs> like, so, and this is the, the reason why I uh, like, True market leader, not true market leader. Uh, as we label anything, like we're creating a bias around that thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm entering this, uh, like I'm treating it differently than I would with any other trailer. If I'm looking at this and it's just bars on a screen, right? Like I'm not behaving in this way, uh, but because I've labeled it, 
uh, in this way. I'm giving it every possible chance to fail. And then well, what happens? It gaps down 20% and I end up selling everything down here. Now, part of the reason why this is both uh, the worst trade of uh, 2021, but also uh, I put it in the success category is because with the ads and with the um, position sizing that I did uh, on a 20% gap down, I was I only lost uh, 1% of capital. Uh, actually, a little bit less than one percent of capital on this. So, well, like, like I feel as though like that gap down and that loss like gave me even more conviction in how I uh, position size and how I uh, manage it, uh, trades from that perspective. But it, it also gave me a, a really good lesson about uh, not labeling things. Uh, which is something that at this stage I should know better, but well, uh, the market will give you a lesson until you really learn it. It's it's almost like sometimes because I know you, you, I've done it where I feel like I'm labeling something and I'm doing the right thing. Like I'm labeling this and this, oh, this is a true market leader. It has to be handled differently. So you, it's like you think you're doing the right thing, and then sometimes it sometimes it works and sometimes not. I mean, I, I know. I've definitely been in the same position. I'm sure I know Steve has. It's like one of those things where it's it's tough. It's tough knowing when to treat something differently and when not to. Yes, Steve. Well, what's your thoughts on that before we get into labeling stuff? Yeah. I would only label something a true market leader if it were like had all the characteristics and you knew it was truly changing the way you work, live, and play. Um I agree with I agree with the biases, but I think it really has to prove itself before um, it gets a title from me. Uh, maybe it's just me being a little critical, but uh, um, prove itself in what way? It's got to just—it's just the business. The business model, like, like I'll give you an example. Um, it, going back to my Apple in two thousand nine. Um, okay. In, Should I pull it up? Or? No, you don't have to. I mean, it, it, it'll just only bring me more pain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew Apple had the best product. You know what I mean? No one else was out there. And, and so it, it was clear as day to me. You know, they had the, the only uh, phone manufacturer with a browser that worked. Then a year later, they came out with the App Store and all the other stuff uh, started to, to align. And, you know, things like that, like Tesla, where they have a true lead over someone else like it's really hard mm. for me to give out that title of what a true market leader is it's gotta you know it's interesting in, in analyzing what true market leaders are you get some like uh, i'll give an example biontech that's why i was nervous i never thought biontech was a true market leader even though it had true market leading performance i knew it was just you know a business that the market or whatever was going on in their industry at that time they had a hurricane at their back but at some at some point the hurricane winds mm -hmm. were going to turn around in their face. Um, whereas for me, it one of the things I'll just tell you this, Mike, because we don't really know each other that well. I love sinking my teeth into businesses. This is one of the okay. things that I I love charts. Don't get me wrong, but I love like businesses. Like when I found Dutch Bros, I went bonkers. I went onto YouTube. I probably for hours was anywhere I could, you know, accumulate information on Dutch bros. I wanted to, I, did I ever think that, do I think they're a true market leader? No, but I think they're 
they have a business that has a model that could go up a thousand percent. I know, it, and get this one, I don't think that's a true market leader. I just think it's a business that's positioned well. So to give me a true, like a perfect example, this is probably the easiest true market leader I ever saw in my life was Facebook. Who's Facebook's competition? Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? When like, it's got like Tesla for all these years, never had any competition until now. You know what I mean? So like, to me, that's until look. So in analyzing, like I love, this is one of the things that I, why I think Bill O'Neill is a genius. I think the canceling system is genius. If you could really identify and do a good job of, of labeling true market leaders as, as little as possible, I think it's it's it, it that's what gives the power to the system. And and I'll, and I'll and I'll make you laugh right now. I'm the biggest contrarian. I I'm a, a, I love to dismiss things. I love uh, to be. I the, know that very I love, well. <laughs> I love to be a hater. And and it's something that I've had to unlearn over the past four or five years. To to this actually gets to one of the 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 lessons learned from this year is to to really be into true market leaders like i'll give you an example we actually yep. talked about this i think you bought nvidia this year too correct yep yep so that was one of oh, my we all did. yeah that was one yeah. of my uh uh success stories this year i traded it i didn't hold it the whole year i traded it i, th I think three or four times i can't remember but again i did real well with it and um they only have one competitor which is amd but i also mm. bought amd too but also the wind is at their back and I mean, all we hear about chip shortage, chip shortage, chip shortage, chip shortage. You know what I mean? The the the, the whole world is telling you something that that the chip stocks. There's something wonderful going on with chip stocks, and like something that's validated that much, to me, gets to be a true market leader. Um, so the, the, everything has to align. And again, it's products, it's fundamentals, it's sales, it's chart. When all those things line up, that's when you you go into it. But this is the big part of canceling that people miss, and me and Bobby talk about it all the time. Companies that change the way we work, live, and play, and you know, it's separating a Dutch Bros, which is a, a ready another stock I love. This is the, you know like this one I love because I know their product is great, and actually, me and Bobby have talked about this a lot. This is going to actually be kind of comical. Is Shake Shack. <laughs> Okay. I know it sounds crazy. One of my but, favorites. Yeah, but we talk about hamburgers. You know what I mean? It's it sounds ridiculous, but you know we we, we both agree that they have a great 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 product. I'm sure other people could, uh, but again, it's it's chart sucks. But this is a company that's on my watch list because I know someday this is going to be a company that is going to have a massive expansion and do well. Is it good? But is it again? Is it a true market leader? You can't say it is because it has so much competition. But it could be a great trade or or a great mm. investment for a certain period of time you know what i'm you know what i'm saying like it's there's a semantic i, I know i'm probably kind of sounding like a hypocrite a but, little bit but i, it, I think it's so easily I know, identifiable i i know from i think people look at true market leader in two different ways because i know from just having this conversation with you personally steve there, there's true market leader in saying that this is the leader in this current market uptrend and then there's true market leader in the term of changing the way we work, live, and play, and like I said, having nearly no competition. Yep. So it's like you, you there's two different types, like, and and they're both important, but they're both two different things, and I think they also both need to be traded differently. Um, 
And I think that's something that I know I've worked out in my head is being able to say, what's a true market leader? Like this might be the next Apple or the next Facebook or the next Google versus this is a true market leader. Okay. This is, um, let's say like a zoom, something that just went on a complete utter run last year, but like zoom has a ton of competition and they, I don't know if they're, I zoom might be a bad example, but yeah, I was just going to say, but we're a true market yeah. leader last year. Yeah, but like yeah. a company that like they might not be long term changing the way we work, live, and play, versus just the leader in this current market. Can I interrupt you because I haven't done that at all this uh, podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you ever listen to WFAN? Like Mike Francesa? No. no? no. Okay, so Mike Francesa is a sports guy, and they, you know, in the off season, like uh, from let's say March, uh, February into March is probably the slowest time for baseball and football and everything. And they used to talk about all, uh, uh, not all pros, uh, Hall of Famers. And Mike Francesa had this one saying in it, and I swear to God, it's like for an opinionated, one of the most opinionated sports guys of all time, it, it's brilliant. You know, an a uh, Hall of Famer when you see him. You, like, like I'll give you an example. Like, you, yeah, okay, you might not be a sports fan, but you're going to see someone, and they're just going to stick out, and you just know it. It's the same, and, and this isn't a gut. This is actually seeing the way their business is operating, the stock is operating, all those things. You just know it. And an example, like, not that I watch the NBC, but this, these are the stocks that they're they're cheer, cheerleading a lot. But at the same time, and this is why I hate CNBC. At the same time, there's a true market leader. There's they get people on who are hating it. I remember when Netflix was in its heyday and I loved Netflix. There was a guy who was going on. This is a $20 stock when the stock was at like 150 to 200. And, and you always get those kind of guys who are like trying to go against the grain, but yet you hear it and their arguments are compelling and that can knock you out of some of these true market leaders. But let me digress again, getting back to the point, true market leaders assert themselves. And you, if you look at it in a holistic fashion, and again, this is separating the chart and looking at the business and looking at what their competition is, looking at what their uh, industry is and all those type of things, that's when you really begin to see it. It just becomes super obvious if you're if you're open to the idea. Like I admit, one of my biggest failings um, was not was ignoring some of the true market leaders with my biases, okay, especially towards companies I didn't like. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, let me think of one. Oh, I'll give you one. This is a good one. I blew Microsoft. It, it, it should have been the most, if, if you work in a company, it should have been one of the most obvious trades because Microsoft was the first company to go to the cloud with uh, Mike with uh, Office 360. And it just had an epic run when they were in the middle of doing that. But yet I ignored it because ah, Microsoft, what, what new products have they come out with? It didn't matter. They, the, the, the industry changed and, and that you had all those you know, uh, they had their cloud, was it Azure and everything else? It just, it's been a, a ridiculous run. But because I thought that they couldn't change, that was my fault. The, the, the greatest one of all time, and and I don't know, I, I believe you're trading then, Mike, was Apple. I've had this, I had this conversation with uh, people uh, in uh, Twitter and elsewhere. When Apple had its run from 2003 or four till 2007, before it came out with the iPhone, there was not a more hated stock on Wall Street than Apple because everybody 
was thinking this is the Apple of the uh, 80s and, and 90s and not the new Apple with the iTunes mm. and everything else. And people all thought, oh, iTunes is a, is a fad. It's going away. Well, if it wasn't for iTunes, we wouldn't have the iPhone because that gave them the capital to invest in it. And plus, at that time, if you remember, everybody started buying Macs again. So it wasn't just a one-trick pony. There was a lot going on there. And But again, I'm going to admit this. I had massive biases at the time. So many people told me to buy it, and I just, I just ignored it. And, and honestly, that'll never happen to me again. You just, you just have to be open-minded and just ask if someone brings you a true market leader or a stock that's performing. You got to continue to ask them, why do you like this? Why do you like this? And at some point, it's going to click. Because again, it's your responsibility to do that. It's not the other person's responsibility to to hand you something on a silver platter. Yeah, and so uh, like like all these lessons, right? Like so, you could have had this trade and look at this and be like, "Oh my god!" Like it broke out, and I missed out on uh, how many thousands of percent uh, has Apple run uh, from there, yeah. and, and never look at at the market uh, again. Yep. But you chose to take the the silver lining in there you you chose to take this as a great lesson because how many more true market leaders how many more opportunities are there going to be uh, like between now and for however long you're doing this you know two weeks ago jim ropel was talking about on the ibd yeah, podcast it was just gonna say it that. was awesome <laughs> he, he's like i'm I, I don't know how old jim is uh i'll, I'll be uh, nice like and just 50, call him 50. i'll say he's 50. We'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt he's 50. he was saying there's going to be like 15 market cycles there's going to be uh, six true market leaders in that time. Do the math, whatever it accrued up to. He did the math. I'm too stupid to do it uh, yeah. on the spot. But you know, there's going to be hundreds of true market leaders between now and the, in, in the next 25 years. Even if we go into the the inevitable, you know, cleansing that every you know prognosticator in the world on Twitter and on CNBC is telling us, you know. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's it, that's what makes this whole thing so exciting. Yeah, it really does. And, and, and ready. This is a great topic, the metaverse. I mean, the, to me, holy cow! You know, you, you we were talking about that at the meetup that you had. Yeah, that was like the big yeah. topic. Yeah, NFTs. Yeah, all of that. Yep. Yep. Oh yep, my yep. god! Yeah, you know, that 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 could be a conversation all the uh, all to itself. <laughs> oh, hundred like, percent. Yeah, guys. Uh, like, yeah, I. I Definitely want want to have you guys back uh, again at, at some point. Absolutely. Uh, but but well, let, let's keep going. All right. Let's keep going. So biggest uh, biggest successes, worst failures, uh, lessons learned and prep for twenty twenty two, and plus we've got some other questions coming in as well. Let's get uh, the questions. Let's see. All right. Um. Yeah, here from Confluence Trader, how to know which market condition is best for your setup? For me, I think uh, it's it's a lot about looking at the stocks out there. Like, there's going to be market environments where the the types of stocks and the types of charts or, or whatever whatever strategy you're doing, whatever criteria you're looking for, there's going to be environments where you see tons and tons of opportunity out there and there's going to be environments where there's very very few opportunity and i think that's a huge indicator like if i'm doing my weekend routine and, and i'm looking through stocks and 
and I'm finding like a few setups and they're eh, okay setups. Like I know like this might not be the perfect market for exactly my style of trading. Um, then there's going to be other markets where like there's just setup after setup after setup after setup and I'm having more trouble narrowing down what, what stocks I'm interested in than I do finding stocks. And that to me is a huge indicator of the type of market that we're in. Um, you know, this, this year was a perfect example and contrary to last year, it's like, if, if you're looking for real true base breakouts last year, um, there was just a ton of base breakouts and they were just going on complete and utter runs and they were all working. Um, this year definitely seemed a little more of like a swing trading style. Like there were these like quick pullbacks and then like rapid up runs. And it felt like that style of, uh, trading was more successful. So I think it's it's big to just say, what is my strategy and do I have a lot of opportunities in front of me or is the opportunity sparse? And that and that triggers in my head type of environment I'm in. Hmm. Steve? Um, I think it's just, Mark Minervini loves to say this, he tweets this out all the time. I think it's actually one of the insights that uh, I give him a lot of credit on because he's highlighted this for me. It's what your past trades that you've most recently done. Uh, how are they setting up? How are they performing? That's going to be tell you exactly what you need to do um, in, in your next trades. Because if you begin, if you have a bunch of trades that are doing poorly, um, you're going to want to change your strategy. If you have ones that are being very successful, like uh, Michael was saying early, you know, I think from October to November, you had like seven or eight trades in a row that were all successful. Well, you're going to want to continue to, to keep doing whatever you're doing in those prior trades. So I think that's, um, I mean, there are certain times that the market kind of tells you what to do, like on a follow through day uh, after a hellacious correction uh, and, and, and a lot of leading stocks are beginning to perform. Uh, it begins to be pretty obvious. Other can other other market conditions. Uh, it's it's just as I said before. It's what the trades that you've just previously done. How are they performing, or what are they doing? And that's how you judge your next trade. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And yeah, Confluence Trader, you you've been uh, on uh, the live streams before, but uh, like this is the the spreadsheet uh, that like you you could create something very simple like this like i know that it looks complex but one of the biggest things in here what i'm tracking is the the open trades right so how many open trades that i have right so and building upon success so if you're tracking something every day and like there's a bunch of columns in here right like it go through the whole alphabet looking at, at the the top over here but it like this takes me like only five minutes uh, less than five minutes to fill in each column uh every single day so what whether you're full-time part-time uh, like like you have five minutes to to track something that like this uh, if it's going to help you it the number of your your open trades and how your open trades are performing so if your open trades are like over here, like this was the beginning of October, right? Uh, like even though like I had five open trades on, I carried into the weekend, only one of them was a winner. Right. Right. And, and so at that point, I wasn't looking to scale up yet, but I was comfortable in holding those select positions because each one of them, well, was showing strength. 
Hello, like it. They were they had weakness, but the weakness was being bought. They were closing at the top of the ranges, uh, bouncing off of support, moving averages, all that stuff. So then, as those trades start to work, and then we're looking at Tuesday and Wednesday, and it's starting to gain traction. That's where you you start to add and start to add more positions, and that affects uh, for me. That affects. I'm adding more positions. I might be adding size if. I'm finding a high quality setup, right? So part of what we want to look at too is not just um, that we have a setup, but is it a high quality setup? And so we want to have some kind of a mechanism of how we're going to judge if something is high quality or or low quality. Uh, breath is important too, like your your own watch list. I I think too, and not like this is something uh, that I got from. Uh, from market and some of the people from uh, the IBD meetups like way back when too, but your own list, your own watch list, there's such a wealth of information in there because that's basically telling you how the market is treating the stuff that you're interested in. Like if the stuff that you're interested in is taken off, then a good time to be in the market. If the market's uh, slamming everything that you're interested in, then well, maybe not. And that's one of the reasons why like um, over here, Right, like, um, yeah, well, when we transition from November to uh, like the mid-November, right, December, like in this period, like I'm not picking trades because it there's like, if I'm looking at a bag, right, and I'm going to reach my hand into the bag and I'm going to pull out a winner or a loser. Well, over here, there's only a 30% chance of me pulling out a winner. Over here, there's only a... 15% chance, 11% chance of me sticking my hand in and pulling out a winner. I don't like them odds. So I'm not going to be placing anything. And so that's why like I was sitting in cash. And then when things started to work, okay, let me start to uh, put on some trades here. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are already over two hours <laughs> i feel like i'm on joe rogan right now when he says that <laughs> yeah, right it, yeah guys uh, like i i don't want like i know that we said we would go until new year's but like we're uh, almost there <laughs> we're, we're almost we're, we're almost uh how you guys feeling you you have time for another question or two yeah I'm, I'm good i'm fine i was gonna say i i i'm shocked that i haven't have to go to the bathroom once yet <laughs> yeah me too i've had a cup of coffee and i'm like uh by the time yep. I'm done with this, yeah. Here's one from another one from Confluence Trader. Great question. Which is best pyramiding or scaling out in a, in an intraday trade? Do you guys do day trading or or intraday swing? No. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do. Uh, and I'll say this: uh, like there, there really is no best. Right, like what's best is what works for you. Um, one of the lessons that I learned super duper early on from after reading Market Wizards, right? Like you'll find one guy that trades one way, you'll find somebody else that trades the complete opposite way, and yet they're both sitting in this book called Market Wizards, and they're uh, some of the most successful people on the planet. So the thing to look at is what works best for you. What are you most comfortable doing? Um, if you are uh, not sure and you want to test something out, then you don't have to 
reinvent the wheel. You could see like what some people that you like, known, respect have done, something that resonates with you, test it out, see how it fits. Uh, give it a chance to, to play out, right? Like, so uh, earlier we were talking about, um, uh, what was the question? It, it had to do with, uh, with money and with, uh, looking at, at trades. So looking at a block of trades, right? So try to get a little bit of statistical significance in there. The, to get statistical significance, you, like you need 100 trades. I don't think that you would need to necessarily do that for this. That like if you get to like say 10 trades or 20 trades and you're like, this sucks, then yeah, you don't need to go to 100 trades. But if it feels good at 10 or 20, like don't say this is the best and start throwing more money into it, then you continue your testing until you have a, like a truly statistical significance, right? Like you're getting up to 50, like you're halfway there. The, then like you start putting on some more, it, like that's how you're going to gain confidence and you're gaining confidence because you're, you're actually doing the work. You're doing the trading. You're, you're doing everything that's there. You're tracking your trades, all of it. So that's all you figure out, which is best pyramiding or scaling out. The, what I personally do, uh, I like to put on my full position uh, in one shot, and then I'll scale out on the way up. Uh, I will add a, you know, do an add-on buy uh, if a fresh setup uh, presents itself. Uh, a good example of that was, um, I believe it was hidden coin. If I could share this with you. So what I did here, I bought this break. I, like that, this goes into the success category too. Like well, with uh, buying this, right? So buying that breakout. I missed this, but it was on the radar. So I got in right over here, right? So rode this. Then it, it started to have a little bit of a flag right here. And that was my add-on buy. That was my add-on buy, and I sold the add-on ahead of earnings. Brilliant. So when there's a fresh setup, that's what I'll use to, to like, if you're kind of thinking of it as pyramiding, uh, that's uh, how I would pyramid in. But when I'm doing my initial buy, I'm buying all at one shot. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, a buy at one shot, but I... I, I actually pyramiding is one of the things on uh market leaders that i have to get better at i think it's one of the harder things one of the best trades i made in my life uh I, I i performed it perfectly but uh since then i haven't done it as well but it was also a, a, no i'm being honest, it, was, it was a company called uh fednat it's an insurance company this is going back years ago fnhc do they still um, exist? Yeah, they do actually. If the stock's at a dollar forty, I'll tell you when I bought it. I think it was like 2011 or 2012. Oh, well, what's the ticker of this thing? FNHC. I'll tell you exactly when I bought it. FNAC. HC. HC. Yep. So I can tell you the exact day I bought it. Oh, I goodness. bought it. Yeah. I bought it in. Uh... I hold, right? No, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, August, uh, April, uh, August 31st, 2012. 2012. All right. Let me go yeah. to the weekly. 
2012. 2012. Yeah. Ah, so so back here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then that's it, a nice little run, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but the thing was, if you notice, it had a lot of little shelves, and I kept on adding to it and adding to it, and then I eventually sold it in the uh, probably around like in the mid 20s somewhere. So yeah, it was just this. It was just an easier stock to hold. Like it, it actually, um, it, you know what I mean. It, it allowed itself to be continually to be bought as it kept on moving up and up and up. So mm -hmm. it also made it easier. It was a company whose earnings changed and it was trading below book value. Yada 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 yada. Like one of those type of things. But uh, yeah, so that I always found to be what I would like to replicate. But the thing is a lot of true market leaders don't give you, don't go up that slowly. You know what I mean? It, it, it usually happens a little bit more over time. Yep. Matt had a good question. Matt, Matt was saying, um, so right now my trading, I only make a plan for a new trade when the market is closed, everything moving and jumping etc i know my mind uh just can't think truly clear so the question then um on a, i agree uh, i i know exactly what he's saying i completely yeah, agree. I, I agree too I'll, I'll be lying if i said that i didn't i didn't stray from that and and lack discipline and occasionally see something pop up on you know on my watch list that i didn't really plan out and make a move but I think that's a sound a sound way to go about it, hundred percent. You know what? Having a job, we're probably more like most of uh, the the listeners. I and this is one of the things like you only have a limited amount of time to look at the market during the day, and um, I try to if I'm going to make buy and sells, I try to do it at night. But if I have to make an intraday call, I will. But I try to do it as uh, minimally as possible. Yeah, I'm. I'm the same. Uh, oh, like really? all all my trading, uh, like the like really all the plans are done uh, either at night. Sometimes uh, they'll be done pre market, but even uh, like even the uh, where I'm going to this exit a trade, right? So part of what what I'll do, like I, I'll there's uh, like the way that I see it, there's uh, five ways that or really 15 ways that, that a trade can move, right? So uh, let me draw over here, right? So uh, the way that, that a trade can move, like it could rock it up, it could kind of meander up, it can drift sideways, it can drift down, or it could sink like a stone, right? So I'm trying to think through, well, what happens in each one of these scenarios if uh, the trade that I'm in does it today? and there's a big difference between each one of these in the trade closing at a high, closing uh, somewhere in the middle, or closing at the bottom. Like I'll think about this very differently if it rockets up but closes down here. Right. Mm. I'll think about this very differently if it uh, rockets down but closes at its high. So I'll think through each one of those scenarios and come up with, okay, if it does this, I'll do that. If it does that, I'll do this. 
and I'll write that out for every position that I have. And I'll do that in the morning because that's when I tend to be the most energetic, right? Like uh, I've meditated, I've gone to the gym, I've had a good breakfast, all the, that stuff. And I'm in the right headspace to think through this kind of stuff because at the end of the day, like who knows what kind of shit's going to fly at us, right? Like, uh, you know, um, there there have been times too, like pick up my daughter for, from the bus stop, like uh, we're here, we're doing homework or whatever. It's time to, to check the market. It's about like a uh, quarter to, to the close. And so rather than having to think through all these different scenarios, all I have to do is look at a piece of paper and say, okay, this is what the plan is. And it's just execution time. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly 100%. how you do it. Yep. Textbook. Um, uh, just to clarify, because I know this uh, Tortoise King wrote Discipline Mind Trading says not to make a watch list till the weekend so your emotions don't affect your emotions. I wouldn't say not to make a watch list. I think it's just that's where the, the brunt of your work is done. You know, making a watch list when the market's closed, I think would be a better way to say because on a on a daily basis, I'm, I'm adjusting my watch list. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, my watch list changes daily. Yeah, daily. Hmm. Do you keep track of your watch lists, uh, uh, like uh, as they're changing, or, or the, is it kind of static? And like, if, when something goes off, like it's off. Yeah, um, uh, once it's off. Um, yeah. But but you know what it is? It, it's it's it depends on how the market's performing. There's certain times I like to just completely purge my list. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. You were pointing out that November time frame. During November, right. I tried to purge my list as as much as possible because I only wanted true leaders not well i wanted stocks that were holding up through that uh little bit of a downtrend and i didn't want uh stocks that were getting clobbered you know like maybe a company that, although it wasn't even on my last watch list but it's just the first one that comes to mind like a peloton or something like that that i, I just wanted those stocks that were performing really awfully off my list Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely just took a note and said keeping track of watch lists. I think I'm going to start uh, ex exporting some of my watch lists into an Excel sheet because I, I love that idea. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Because how often do you, do you come across a stock, put it on your watch list, don't decide to pull the trigger on it, and you kind of lose sight of it? And, and I think that, that, that that's something I want to keep track of. So I'm sure there's a lot of stocks that I've said, I might pull the trigger on this weekend. Maybe I didn't, and I probably missed something. So thanks. Do Mike. you use TradingView? <laughs> No, I use MarketSmith and Thinkorswim. I've I've played around with TradingView, but I I have not set it up completely to where I feel like it's it's functioning the way I, I feel comfortable. One of the cool things with TradingView is that you they have this little publish button up here, and you don't need to publish it uh, to the world. You could publish something privately, so it could end up acting like your own uh, personal journal. So like like over here. Right, like I'm, I'm looking around the the light. That's why I'm going out like this. <laughs> like there, there's all these trades in here. Like so, the, here's one that I didn't take, but I uh, wanted to to keep track of it. So so it's there, and like I could see like well what happened after this trade, right? Like, like so it'll save it from that day, and then you could just play it forward. That's awesome. That's a yeah, really like good a, feature. Like the of all the charting platforms out there, like they're far and away my, my favorite. Um, 
Yeah, I, I had done a huge long stint of research and, and thinking about different platforms and every single person I asked said trading view, trading view, trading view. So I dabbled in it. Um, but I, I haven't kind of committed to to really using it yet. Mm. I'm sure I, just use, uh, I just use uh Market Smith. You mm. just use graph paper, graphing yeah, paper. Exactly. <laughs> it worked for Darvis. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Steve's calling up his broker. What was the high, the low, and the close for today? Well, I, I'm gonna have to leave soon. I got to go dance. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I I agree with that statement. Oh my goodness, watching me dance. <laughs> <sighs> oh my guys. Uh, so, any, any closing thoughts? Any closing for me, thoughts for, for 2022? Uh for 2022 going into 22 i think the biggest thing i have to say is just like no matter what level of trading you're at it's just always learning always always making that improvement like you're just never done and uh no matter how good or how bad your trading may feel in the current time it's you have to like steve just talked about like resetting his watch lists like sometimes you just got to reset your mindset and just say all right no matter how good or how bad it is when you start feeling those emotions go one way or the other too high just take a quick breath and just say all right let me reset myself step back and take a look at what's going on and, and, and take it on from there because um, yeah, there's always a, another big stock around the corner and you can always get a better, be a better trader. Yeah. For me, just keep doing the work, you know, stay focused on canceling. If that's your system, whatever your system is, be true to that system, have the confidence in that, ignore the haters, ignore the people, you know, giving you their two cents, especially at cocktail parties and elsewhere. Um, we only get to hear them brag. We never get to see their losses. Like you had a wonderful uh, spreadsheet there. I guess it was at 11% at one point <coughs> on one of the trades. Um, nobody will ever tell you that, that uh, you know, 90% of their trades are in the red at the, that point. Um, mm -hmm. And it just keep grinding. I mean, yes, you do hear the stories of someone uh, buying one of these stocks uh, and, and getting rich, but that's not the typical road. Usually for most people to grind, it's going to be multiple trades over multiple years and just, just, just keep working at it. And, uh, you know, the more that you participate in the markets and, and do the work and, uh, get the experience, the easier this gets and you, the more confidence you'll have in yourself. Fantastic. Uh, Aside from your YouTube channel, where, where where else can people find more more of you guys? Um, both of us are on Twitter. That's Steve and I creating YouTube. Yep. So Steve's on. Steve's probably more predominantly on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. That's probably the two main platforms. And then uh, one of the other things that honestly I probably check a little more frequently is uh, we have a Discord channel. So it's just like a free Discord channel. Um, and all of this stuff is linked in any of our videos for anybody who's interested in following us on anything. Um, but so yeah, we have. We just go click the video link and it's in the description. Yep. Yeah, we have our both our Twitters, our Discord, our Instagram. Um, I think there's my email, which I don't think anybody has ever contacted. I think I've had like four emails come through there. <laughs> Most of it's okay. through social media. Um, but yeah, all those ways are great ways to reach out to us, and you know, we're more than happy to communicate and answer with anybody awesome yeah and i'll link all that in the description for for this video and podcast well when it gets blasted out to spotify and all that stuff too 
Awesome, guys. Awesome. Uh, this has been amazing. Yeah, I'm really awesome. thrilled that Appreciate you it. don't it agree to come on. Yeah. No, I'm glad you invited us. Yeah. Yeah. Great so time. now when we have the meetup, we're going to have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I think Steve always has something to talk about. Wow. Yeah. Well, we could <laughs> wow. all go on and on for, for I know, hours and all hours. Of us, wow. All of us. wow. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Happy New Year. Everybody that, that's here with us, thank you so much for, for being a yeah. part of this. Uh, it's been amazing. You've had awesome questions. And uh, here's to a happy and profitable New Year. One last thing. Endure the pain of discipline. <laughs> <laughs> Stay disciplined. <laughs> Peace out, everybody.